Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. And I'm Wesley Meineker. Meineker. That's right, not Meineker. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my first question. That was going to be my first question for you. Last week. Did you don't... <laughs> I was going to ask if you listened to last week's episode. No, 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 no. I've been wanting to correct you for uh, uh, the last couple months, not just yeah. the last episode. Wes Miner, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> we are happy to have you back, sir. Uh, yeah. Part four of our 1995 retrospective series. Uh, Wes is back for the first time since episode 119. You were on for Order of the Phoenix, I believe, yep. right? Order of the Phoenix. I think that was back in about August or so, uh, and I had a great time last time. So I'm glad that you guys were willing to have me back on. I'm glad to be back. No, yeah. it, it had been a while since we had had a rookie appearance. This is a pretty pretty tight knit group here on the podcast of our guests. Oh yeah, we're very, elite, very exclusive, exclusive mm-hmm. part. Yes, elite. That's correct. Very elite <laughs> club you're part of now. So mm-hmm. we are we are happy to have you back. Uh, what, what's up? What you been up to? Oh well, um, honestly, I've just uh, been uh, clocking in day in day out, working uh, and watching as many movies as possible. Um, Thanks to you guys, uh, a large part. Thanks to you guys, um, I've just developed like such a huge passion uh, for movies and for films, uh, and I'm. I just feel like I'm starting to understand the language of film a bit more. Starting to understand uh, cinematography um, and understanding themes within films and uh, getting messages. Um, and yeah, I just I, I love it, um, and it's just turning into such a passion of mine. And I just want to thank you guys for that. Oh, awesome, Wes! That makes me so happy. Oh, look at look at Savvy wiping the tears away. Yeah, we're getting a little missed, yeah. That was that was very kind of you to say. Of the fact that uh, this uh, this little podcast, which attracts literally tens of viewers per episode, uh, <laughs> could, uh, could uh, touch you in such a way, it's, uh, it's yeah. much appreciated. I would have quit my job by now if I wasn't <laughs> listening to you guys. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do listen to us, and I still might quit my job. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we are so excited to have you back, Wes. It was thank you. It was thank awesome you. having you on last time. It's so much fun having you uh, in the chat group as well. Uh, it's fun. It's really fun for for a lot of us having you in there because you're getting to experience the movies for the first time. Much mm-hmm. like I get to do with Sam on the podcast, uh, but a lot of the movies that we all truly love that all of us have already seen, we get to introduce to you because uh, if our listeners aren't aware, you're you're much younger than than most of us in the chat group. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you're I mean, just he, he is the youngest in the chat group, right? Yeah, by a long shot. I well, maybe not a long shot, but next next youngest would probably be me, and I'm 24. 24. So yeah, a yeah. couple years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's, a, it's an absolute joy to have you in there and to see you experience those films for the first time and to like them as much as we do. It's a lot of fun. and Or yeah. if, or sometimes, actually, I, I can't think of a movie that we've gotten you to watch that you didn't really like that much. Uh, well. Unless Rachel uh-oh. recommended it. Uh, oh, are you talking about Store of Echoes? <laughs> it's not that hard to tell when a movie is going to be good or bad personally I, I like i like especially when they're movies that have been around for so long mm-hmm. and that you guys have all seen or that ones that are critically acclaimed that i know that have been in the industry for so long mm-hmm. i know walking into it 
usually when it's going to be good or not. Like, for example, one that I haven't gotten around to, but I know that there's a good chance it might be one of my favorite films of all time, or it will, I'll probably give it a five out of five, and that's Fight Club, you know, something like that. Just a classic that I already know walking into. Mm-hmm. That, and I feel like I, I, I choose a lot of movies, or a lot of the movies I've been watching have just been movies like that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Totally. Totally makes sense. Uh, well, speaking of movies you've been watching, Wes, Ooh. why don't you share some of the movies that you have been watching, which we okay. just found out recently you've been hiding from us. <laughs> yes, I have. You scamp. I've made sure that they're all going to be movies that you guys uh, have a f- decently favorable view of. Right. Uh, like at that. least most of them. Yeah, um, and I, I, I know that some are, are going to get you guys excited. Um, so this this week, uh, I watched four movies. Uh, starting out, uh, I watched the 2017 film uh, directed by Greta Gerwig called oh, Lady Bird. Nice. Lady Bird, nice. Yeah. Good pick, man. Uh, this has been on the top of my list for so many months now. I've wanted to watch it uh, forever, mainly because it's about someone graduating in 2002 which if you guys don't know is the year i was born so i, I got oh. to see someone oh. my age graduating you know going through the same things that that i just went through last year um or lack thereof uh, graduation if you graduated in 2020 but that's besides the point uh but i just wanted to really like com- like compare like uh some of the subject matter that was in that film mm-hmm. uh and some of the things that she was going through uh comparing someone my age the year i was born to you know to me now or to kids my age now uh I, you know i i i really like that and make the the movie really enjoyable for me mm-hmm. so yeah uh, that's that's one that i've been uh, meaning to rewatch as well i did watch Same. it in uh in 2017 when it came out and if I recall correctly, it was my it was my last cut from my top ten of the year. In retrospect, oh. it probably makes its way back onto that list. I think I put mm-hmm. the post on there instead with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, um, okay. which is a movie that I enjoyed, but one that I haven't even really thought about since 2017. I think Lady Bird just has a little bit more staying power. Um, Saoirse Ronan is seriously oh, she's one of wonderful. Finest. One of the finest young actors of our generation. She just puts out smash hit after smash hit after great performance after great performance every single year. And uh, Lady Bird put her on the radar for me. I had since gone back and rewatched, um, or not rewatched, uh, Manny and I watched a movie called Atonement with her in it, uh, which over yeah. overall was kind of middle of the road, but uh, it, I, it was just one that I... Uh, had not seen with her in it. We probably talked about Lady Bird in the first episode we ever recorded. Hey, Manny? Yeah, because that was our top 10 of 2017. Yeah, there you, go. you You must have had it on the list, right? I don't think I did. No? I don't think so. Are you not a fan? I thought that you had. Oh, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I just oh, okay. I, I just think there was other movies that I enjoyed more. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, fair enough. I'd, uh, I'd re-listen to that first episode, but it's cringeworthy. <laughs> I haven't I haven't re-listened to it. I'm afraid to. <laughs> I remember at least one moment having like a solid five to ten seconds of dead air as I'm trying to go through my notes and just like in my head, my my head is just racing like fuck, fuck, fuck. I need to say something. <laughs> <laughs> the rhythm clearly is not there the same way that it is now. No, it, it's it's a it's it's a hard listen. 
I I've, <laughs> I've tried to listen to it, and maybe I, maybe I'll give it another chance, maybe next week. But usually, usually I listen to my podcasts on like one point two five x one point five x speed. I use I usually listen to them fast forwarded. Uh, if I was to re-listen to that one, I'd probably give it a solid two times. <laughs> I would give it I'd give it the full double speed just to just to power through it. Uh, Wes, I don't know if you had prepared this, but uh, Man- since Manny and I usually do our star ratings on movies when we give them, do you do you have that as well? Uh, yes, I do for all four. Uh, okay. And I gave Lady Bird a five out of five. Oh boy, okay. Yeah. I like mostly it. Well, mostly just because of how relatable it was uh, and just, you know, the themes. It felt very universal for kids that are my age. Um, and it's an- a movie that anyone my age, I feel like, can enjoy. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, timeless movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's it's one yeah. that's going to be sticking around for sure. Definitely. Good, Good start. Thank you. Uh, yeah, next up, uh, the next movie I watched, um, I think you guys are might have a favorable view of this, uh, but there's just a big a chance that you guys won't like this film because I know it's kind of controversial uh, and some people consider it a bit dull, uh, but that's the 2012 Steven Stoops. Steven Spielberg film Lincoln, starring oh. Daniel Day Lewis. Guess what? I, I haven't seen Lincoln. No. I haven't no. Seen it. Manny sounds excited. It. I fucking love this movie. Oh, this awesome. movie that is so, so fucking good. Not even because of Daniel Day Lewis's amazing fucking performance, but this movie's oh, yeah. actually funny. It yep. has a couple really great comedic moments in it. The entire yeah. cast is unbelievable. Oh, tell me your thoughts on Lincoln, Wes, please. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm starting to figure out that my favorite, uh, at least uh, time periods in films, would have to be uh, medieval England, um, around any, anywhere from a thousand to 1600 mm-hmm. uh those years or uh 1800s us around the civil war time are by far like my favorite set pieces uh i loved little women i love gangs of new york um i just love films that are set in this era but mostly because i'm like a huge history nerd yep. especially when it comes to american politics um and i got my research done before i watched this i was watching videos on presidential elections and what the the and uh catching up on the civil war um and i just kind of went all out uh and wanted to fully uh submerge myself in the film and i would say it it definitely worked uh uh, it's definitely right up my alley um especially when it's a movie uh with such a strong performance like such a like on another level strong performance when you're talking about daniel day lewis um and that's the main thing I look for. And when I'm watching films, mostly is just looking for great acting um, on top of anything. And so just to have the subject matter that I love on top of one of the greatest actors of all time um, in one of, uh, in an uh, iconic role like that, um, I thought it was awesome, but I can't see it why, why it wasn't for everyone. Um, so yeah, I gave it a four. I really enjoyed. Starring our good friend, Dan Lewis, as we like to say around here. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to trying to look up real quick what that lost to Manny. Do you remember what it lost to for best best picture off the top of your head? 2012. Zero Zero Dark Thirty, wouldn't it be? No, Zero Dark Thirty didn't win best picture. Argo, Argo, yeah, Argo. Argo, Amor, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Misérables. 
like my French, <laughs> uh, Life of Pi, uh, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty was nominated that year, though, Wes. Yeah. That was a great year. That's a good mm-hmm. year. Uh, <clears throat> I would, as a film, out of the nominees, I would probably give it to Zero Dark Thirty. It's very biased on my part because I fucking love that movie. Your 10th favorite movie of the 2010s, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't rewatched Zero Dark Thirty since then. Uh, it would probably be up there. Um, Django is easily my favorite of those, and it's not close, I don't think. Um, Silver Linings Playbook is one that Manny and I, I think you and I have talked about off air a couple times, is one that's maybe a little bit overrated, one that maybe we just didn't get. I don't agree. No. That's one of my. That's in my top twenty favorite movies ever. Yeah, I I really love that. Like m- with my bias in play, the best mm-hmm. picture would go to Silver Linings Playbook. Obviously, I don't think it should in the if you're looking at it through you know the Academy's eyes or or mm-hmm. through their view, it obviously wouldn't win. But on a personal basis, I would I would put Silver Linings Playbook above all of them. Given that you just said uh, usually that you place the heaviest emphasis on the performances when you're evaluating a movie, you would you would still put it above Lincoln, you think? Um, yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, it, it, it's probably because that film means so much to me. Uh, I've grown mm-hmm. up watching it. I've watched. I watched it right when it was came when it came out. So I would have probably been around ten, I think. Um, and yeah, it's all—it's always been a film that stuck with me. Manny just uh, reacted like a bobblehead for those one thing. <laughs> he just, his head just made a very, very weird motion when uh, when Wes aged himself. Ugh. It's mind blowing. <laughs> it's going to be a long episode in more ways than one, isn't it? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, Lincoln yeah. gets the four. Lincoln gets yeah. the four. Uh, and next up, um, I know for a fact that you guys love this movie. Um, and I honestly don't see how anyone couldn't. Um, this is the 2014 film starring Miles Teller and oh. J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you guys remind me on the director? That is Mr. Damien Chazelle, my friend. Damien Chazelle, yeah. Um, this was one that I had seen bits of pieces, bits and pieces of, um, but never watched in whole. Uh, and has also been on the top of my list for as long as I can remember. Um, I've always wanted to check this out because it's one of my family's favorites. All of my friends have told me to watch it. And I don't know why it took me this long um, to check it out. But this was a fantastic film. Uh, I love the themes in it um, of just, you know, when you real, have... Real quick, Wes. Sorry, I, yeah. I, maybe I missed it. But while we're talking about this, obviously Manny and I know what it is. But I don't know if you actually said the name yet. Did I not? Oh, I'm sorry for the listeners out there. Uh, this film is Whiplash. Yeah, there you I go. got ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, I feel like once you mentioned the name J.K. Simmons, what else can you really think of? Ooh, J. Jonah uh, Jameson, Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 but I no, guess so. I, As far as performances go, yeah, Whiplash is better. But anyway, yeah. sorry, continue. Um. Yeah, I just loved the themes in this movie when you have uh, such a passion for something um, and you'll do anything uh, to get to it. It's, it's, pre- it's a simple story and that, that, that's pretty much uh, the gist of, of what the movie's about. Um, and 
just J.K. Simmons' performance is so breathtaking. Like, I couldn't... I There was some so many verbal gasps uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, He's absolutely amazing. In my opinion, uh, yeah. his performance in Whiplash is probably one of the top 10 performances of the decade. I know. I just don't even know how to de- describe it. Uh, it. It's one of like the, the most perfect uh, performances I think I've ever seen. Um, but I, I just love the way that he um, inspires the character of Miles Teller, um, especially when he said the quote, uh, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Um, and when he's trying to make his case at the end um, of claiming like how he didn't do anything wrong, um, and how he thought he was totally in the right the whole time. Uh, I just thought that that it was it was really thought provoking. Uh, I didn't think the film was going to end up like that. Uh, I thought it might have had a bit more of an of a happy ending for some reason. Um, but I, I'm glad it went that direction and it was able to um, sort of uh, steer it in the direction of you can't just go uh, like with ground level work or. Um, with ground level perseverance like you act in order to achieve your dream you have to uh put in 130 140 percent dedication uh, and i think that's what all this movie is trying to tell uh the audience so yeah terence fletcher is one of my all-time favorite movie villains he is a delight <laughs> on screen and, and you said it uh, you said it wes uh he, the best sort of villains are the ones who believe that they're right they're the ones who really think they're fighting the righteous fight now this may have some connection to the movie we're talking about today i'm not sure we'll find out uh but really you need your villain to believe in their own cause otherwise why are they even doing what they're doing they should be as compelling as if not more compelling than your protagonist and uh whiplash accomplishes that uh terence fletcher is a guy who says and does some really fucked up things in the name of bettering his students but that scene in the jazz club at the end where he says uh that awesome quote there's no more no two words in the english language that are more harmful than good job you can feel in that scene through jk simmons performance uh, he really means that shit and it's really fucked up that he believes that but he you there's you can understand in that moment there's no way to convince mm-hmm. him that he's wrong um this I, I know you're aware of this but this is my this is on my top 20 of all time this is my seventh favorite of all time i pulled up my letterbox just to confirm the placement that's my seventh favorite movie of all time sandwiched in there between the town and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um i i fucking love whiplash as i am also biased being a, a music nerd i a jammer I boy and I was yeah. in a jazz band as a trumpet player when I was in high school. So I'm very mm-hmm. biased in my love for this movie. But yeah. fuck, is it ever so much fun? Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, out yeah. of five, Whiplash. Uh, fives all around. Yeah, five, five, I love five. It. I um, fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, for the fourth and final film of the week that I watched, uh, from my favorite filmmaker um, of all time, uh, I watched the 2006 film, 2006 or seven film, uh, The Departed, starring oh. Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, directed by God, 
this film <laughs> is about uh, two Boston City uh, detectives or policemen. Um, I don't technically know what the right term there would be i don't really know if it would matters but they and they get into this huge game of uh cat and mouse with each other uh or almost like it's cat and cat because they're both chasing each other yet they're both getting chased by each other uh and it at first it was a bit hard to follow along um but uh eventually uh once i got into it uh this film was so exciting uh, and it kept me on the edge of my feet. Uh, just for those of you listening, uh, if you don't get the reference that I said before, uh, I meant Martin Scorsese uh, is the one that directed this. Um, personally, who I think is the greatest living film director out there right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you like uh, crime movies, uh, if you like Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon, and if you like Martin Scorsese, I think this is an awesome film for you to check out. Uh, first of all, love the pick. Also on my top twenty of all time, sitting there at number awesome. fourteen. So you're you're doing you're doing fantastic, and I'm grinning ear to ear. Manny has been sitting stone faced for the duration of your talk about this movie, and I know Manny pretty well at this point. It's because you called Martin Scorsese the greatest living filmmaker when Steven Spielberg is still alive. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I I still don't don't think you can make that argument. Well, you can make the <laughs> argument. I just still think you're wrong. <laughs> Maddie is flabbergasted right now. He is, is, he is almost completely off screen. Manny, uh, you're Do you you're have scared. a rebuttal? <clears throat> you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> You can definitely have an definitely have an argument towards Scorsese being the the greatest living director. There's an argument to be made. I personally don't think that that is true. I I, but he's the only one that you could have a serious argument about. If anybody's the only one, the it's it's Scorsese or Spielberg. If you at if that's still alive, there's nobody else that you can even put okay, in the okay. same category as them. That's still alive. Okay, yeah, I, I would agree with that. If you're going all time, those two names, Kubrick and, oh, shit. Hitchcock? Hitchcock? Yeah. Coppola? No. No. Co no. No. Neither? Coppola or Wells? Orson Wells? I, I, yeah, no. Wells. No. 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 Look at Orson Wells' body of work. Not good. Citizen Kane. Yeah, you've got one. He's good there. Okay. And what else you got? Do we, do we need any others? Yes, you do. <laughs> you can't. So, you you, you so can't. Who's, who's Mount Rushmore then, Manny? Is it, uh, is it Spielberg, Scorsese, Hitchcock, and Kubrick? Is yeah. that who you said? Yeah. I I I I would really like to have David Lean on there. I uh, I don't want Kubrick on the Mount Rushmore, but if I have to look at it realistically, then he has to. But I don't like mm -hmm. I don't like his filmmaking. I don't like his films. His the movies of his that I've watched, which I think I think I've watched about five of them. I understand the technical prowess behind them, but they're just not for me. Fair enough. 
Wes, you must have been on a bit of a uh, Scorsese kick recently because you also just recently watched uh, Shutter Island, I know. Yeah. I, have you watched uh, like any more of his filmography in recent days? Uh, uh, well, a couple months ago, I watched Gangs of New York. Nice. Uh, yeah. Like I said earlier, um, Shutter Island, uh, The Departed, uh, and just a couple of like my favorites um are by him like wolf of wall street is in my top five favorite movies ever uh i love goodfellas too um hmm. and yeah uh and there's still so many that i have to watch like i still need to cross off raging bull off my list the king of comedy taxi driver uh yeah, like too. i still i still have so much farther to go and that just makes me even more excited to yeah. check out more of his films yeah. uh had you, I imagine you'd probably seen The Departed before, right? Or no? No, this was, all four of these have been a first watch. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's really exciting for me. I've I've loved this movie for a long time. Manny and I talked about it like way in the early days of the podcast, as well as the, uh, the Hong Kong movie, which it's based on called Infernal Affairs. Did you know that, um, Wes? I did not know that, the, no. The, the Departed is a remake. Mm-hmm. It's a remake of a Hong Kong movie called Infernal Affairs. And Sam and I did an episode on Infernal Affairs. I think it's episode 27. Yeah. Is it good? It's fucking so, fantastic. I prefer oh, The Departed. Wow. One of my favorite movies ever. Manny prefers the original. I so. prefer Infernal oh. Affairs. Now that is an interesting debate that I would like to hear once I watch that film, of course. It's but. definitely. I definitely recommend adding it to your watch list. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that was most enlightening for me watching it was just how much of The Departed actually is, I would stop short of saying ripped off from Infernal Affairs, but it's it's clear homage. Yeah, well, it's it's a it is an ex, it's an exact it's an exact remake, just with some they they made some changes for it to be a North American film. They added a couple they added a couple more characters. There's a lot in The Departed that they do a lot better. Obviously, they well, filmmaking wise, it's obviously better. You have Scorsese and what probably six times the budget that the Hong Kong film has. But like I, I watched Infernal Affairs about eight years before The Departed even came out. So I, I, I don't. I hate to use the term "grew up" because I watched uh, Infernal Affairs when it came out, or no, sorry, not when it came out. Like I, I watched it about about two or three years after it came out. Uh, I can't even remember who recommended it to me, but I checked it out and I was just fucking blown away. I think, I think you told me when we watched that episode, it's weird that I still have this tidbit in, in my mind, but I think you told me that you read about it in a magazine. Prob- probably. Yeah. Probably. And then watching Infernal Affairs, I was completely blown away. And then when the news came, like, I don't know, five, six years later that they were remaking it, with DiCaprio and Damon and Scorsese and Jack Nicholson, I was just fucking pumped. And went All and, over it. Yeah, and when I went and saw it in the theater, absolutely fantastic film. But I, my heart goes for Infernal Affairs because I've, I'd seen it numerous times before The Departed came out. So it's, it's – I hate to use the word nostalgia because Infernal Affairs isn't that old of a film. But I've watched that more times and – have had it longer in my life than The Departed. I I will say that as far as The Departed goes, uh, Mark Wahlberg as Staff Sergeant Dignam is uh, maybe my favorite character who 
<laughs> let's put it this way. It's my favorite performance that was nominated for an Oscar that I do not believe should be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> I was, I'm just looking at that right now, and yeah. I was going to ask you guys about that. What is up with that nomination? It, it is ludicrous. Right. He has... He has all the best lines in the movie. He's hilarious and he's really funny. It's not like a air quotes no. good performance. He's, he's playing really a Boston funny. guy. He's he has the same character as his character in Ted. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, the Academy. Haven't you haven't you seen Ted back in 2006? You can nominate the departed, but you can't nominate Ted. Uh, the yeah. Oscars gets no credit. Well damn man, those are some good picks. Uh, what'd you what'd you give the departed? uh another five out of five so that's three fives and one four yeah i think those are those are solid picks yeah, right there. I, I, yeah i had a good week uh good week yes uh busy week second to my podcast partner and friend manny manuel who uh told us before we came on air he had quite the week for movie watching himself eh yeah yeah i got 10 films done 11 if you include the one that we're reviewing tonight all right, well, I'm going to get comfortable. All Go right. for it. <clears throat> so I rewatched a movie that I used to love. And I say used to because rewatching it broke my heart as I realized it's not as good as I remember, despite the very fact that this movie centers around one of the loves of my life. And that's the 2005 rom-com Fever Pitch. Oh, no, it's not good anymore. <laughs> it is atrociously bad. And it was hard to sit through as as this should come as a surprise to no one. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's not a good actor. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon is in this? Yes. Do you, do you know the plot of this movie, oh. Wes? I I think this is going to be a common theme uh, throughout your guys' uh, yeah. watches of the week. But no, I've never heard of okay. this. Okay. This, this is one that I shocking... When you hear the plot of this movie, it's going to be no surprise to you that Manny loves it. Uh, I did watch this movie upon its release in 2005 and at least liked it, but I, I, I'm not surprised it hasn't aged well. I loved it. So here's the plot. Lindsay is stuck in the middle of her relationship with Ben and his passion for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> it is hard to watch because Jimmy Fallon is very bad in this movie. As is Drew Barrymore. Despite the fact that this movie was filmed during the 2004 Boston Red Sox season, which, for those of you that don't know, is the greatest season in all of Major League Baseball history. So, and that's undisputed. And so... I mean, you're you're blowing through that sentence like I'm going to dispute it. You know how I feel about that season. <laughs> I can't even argue. It was so hard to sit through this movie because I remember loving it. Obviously, I loved it because it is about the Boston Red Sox and the 2004 se season, which for those of you that don't know, it's when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series for the first time in 86 years. That year, 2004, was an amazing year for me personally because of the Boston Red Sox win. I can remember everything about it. I'm not going to get into the history of that whole series. <laughs> this movie is bad. I I don't I'm not, don't watch it unless you're like I want to see how bad this is. I'm not a Jimmy Fallon hater or a Drew Barrymore hater, but I'm not big fans of them either. I think Jimmy Jimmy Fallon is good on is it what is it? Tonight Tonight Show. Tonight Show. He's good. He's he's a great host. 
Mm-hmm. He's a bad actor. I, I used to actor. watch him I used to watch him nightly actually when he was on uh late night with Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. before before the tonight show. I used to watch him like every night actually when I was a teenager and I uh, kind of grew out of it. Yeah. Uh I gave this a two. Oh, really that bad, eh? Yeah. Damn, the fact that you're giving it a two is not does not bode well. Uh I <laughs> just to give people some perspective on the meaning of that two, um, I, I, Manny and I have talked about this movie a couple times before, so I know how much it means to him. But the season of baseball that this movie takes place during, one of my earliest memories in my friendship with Manny is asking him to explain why that season was important to a friend of ours who had never heard of it. I, I already knew all about it. I, wa- I was watching baseball back then, too. Oh, my but God. I asked him, a diehard Red Sox fan, to explain why that season was important to a friend of ours who had never heard of it, was not a baseball fan, was not a sports fan, not anything. And he, hour and a half straight, while we were all on the clock at our respective jobs, Manny talked for an hour and a half straight about (laughs) the history of the Red Sox, the historical context, why this specific series against the New York Yankees was important, why the specific game was important. And this movie centers around that season. It's a rom-com based in that season. And Manny is blushing heavily right now, I'd like to point out to the people who are listening to this. And uh, it's a very meaningful season. And even though it's important for Manny that season, it's one of the seasons, it's one of the moments in baseball some of the most important moments in that season are the moments that made me love baseball as a young kid uh yeah fever pitch not good <laughs> doesn't doesn't surprise me that it hasn't aged particularly well so the anyway long story short the fact that manny does not like a movie about that season should tell you how bad it is yeah not good it would have been a perfect <clears throat> movie for your guys's baseball film podcast though yeah That's it would have been just absolutely perfect for that episode we, one we can st- we can still use it for an opening day i have no problem reviewing bad movies i'd have no problem ripping into this oh we're doing bull durham this year maybe uh maybe I, next year no I, I have something lined up for next year sam oh okay perfect. yeah yeah and i'm excited because i know you haven't seen it and i'm super excited anyways Okay. Okay. Uh, the next movie, uh, sticking with uh, Drew Barrymore. Oh I de- no! I, yeah, <laughs> I decided to torture myself and revisit a movie that I was surprised at how much I liked when I saw it in 2004, and it should be surprising because it features an actor I'm not a fan of, and this is the Drew Barrymore Adam Sandler romantic comedy, Fifty First oh. Dates. Oh. Now the plot. Henry Roth is a man afraid of commitment until he meets the beautiful Lucy. They hit it off, and Henry thinks he's finally found the girl of his dreams until discovering she has short-term memory loss and forgets him the next day. I remember seeing this in 2004, and I remember being surprised that I liked it. So I saw that it was either it was on one of the streamers I got, and so I decided to watch it. And I was still surprised that I still didn't mind this movie, despite the fact that it has Adam Sandler in it. But he's not doing his usual Adam Sandler shtick. And so there's times when he is, and so I was completely tuned out at those times. But he has a fairly good rapport with Drew Barrymore. But I think the memory loss plot device is just a plot device that I'm always going to love. No matter what movie it is, be it this, 
be it Memento, be it fuck, what, what, what's the other memory movie I just watched recently? God damn it! I, I mean, Ray and Finding Nemo. <laughs> yeah, all of all of them. I'm I'm just I, I there's just something about it that I like. And so this must be the only time in recorded human history that Memento was compared to Fifty First Dates, though. Yes, <laughs> it's it it was it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'll probably be another fifteen years before I watch this again, but I probably will watch this again. Uh, one of Sam, one of your boys, is in it. Uh, Sean Austin. Yeah, Sean Astin. Right. Sean Astin. Sean Astin. Yeah. Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. Uh, it's oh. it's it's cute. If you're looking for something easy, and I, there was no point in this movie that I was laughing out loud, but there was no point in this movie that I was looking at my watch or playing on my phone, bored out of my mind. It's a, a perfectly right down the middle movie with a fun premise that. I got a, a a a very actual touching. It touched me on how much Adam Sandler's character is willing to do for this woman, and the way that he resolves or continually resolves this problem. I found heartwarming, so I found myself enjoying this movie. I gave Fifty First Dates a three. Yeah, I uh, I've seen this and uh, definitely felt similarly about it. I w- I just have it pulled up on IMDb here. And I think the reason why it works well, at least one of the reasons, is because the name Adam Sandler is neither beside the words directed by nor by the words written by. <laughs> I, I think uh, the fact that he does not have a directing or writing credit on this movie, uh, it's better for it because uh, movies that he writes tend to be uh, not very good. Mm. I, I know that I said uh, directed by. I don't know if he's directed any movies. I, I was, assume he. Probably, he I was. I was about to say. I'm like. I don't well, think he's directed. Anything. Wasn't Uncut Gems his film? I thought. No, that was... that's the Safdie no. brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Was he a writer? No. No. Oh, he just had a killer performance. I yes. Guess. <laughs> he just decided to let somebody else actually write and direct him, somebody that he didn't have power over. Because I don't think Uncut Gems is a Happy Madison production. I think he is just an actor. <laughs> you don't know. Don't so, eh? I I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know for sure. Hmm. But this is the type of that Uncut Gems is a type of performance where he Adam Sandler actually has to listen to what the directors want. Yeah. And so, I would have to assume as well that Uncut Gems is a very minimalist and very small budgeted movie. So he didn't get paid his usual amount. So he wouldn't have the, the power to do the things that he wanted. But I'm I'm sure, I, I Adam Sandler, in my opinion, didn't take the role in Uncut Gems to turn it into some type of comedy or into another one. He th- actually wanted to try and give a good performance, mm-hmm. and instead he ends up giving a great performance that was criminally underrated. One of the great tragedies of our generation is that Adam Sandler just refuses to try. A lot of the time he just he, I, I i respect him to an extent because all he really does is write movies for him and his friends and they just get to hang out and make movies in exotic locations yep. they're like oh you want to hang out in hawaii oh I'll, I'll just write a getaway romantic comedy and we can just go hang out in hawaii and shoot a movie i guess that's just the life he gets to live and i think that's so cool but 
those movies are terrible. Uh, so I, I think it, uh, he's proven that he can act in a serious way. Uncut Gems, uh, Punch Drunk Love comes to mind as well. Spangl- uh, Spanglish. Yeah, the man's talented. He just chooses to not use that talent for good, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really too bad. Anyway, 50 First Dates, three stars. Love it. Yeah. Next up, I decided to watch another comedy that I'd heard was really funny. I was skeptical, so I decided to check it out. So I watched the 2014 comedy starring Seth Rogen and Zac Efron, and that's Neighbors. I am not a Seth Rogen fan. I find that he keeps playing the same character over and over again. Sometimes it's enjoyable. Most of the time it's not. This was one of the times that it was somewhat enjoyable. Zac Efron, I'd heard, was great in this movie. I'm going to respectfully disagree. Oh, wow. But I believe there are two standouts in this movie. One was a surprise, and that was Dave Franco. Hilarious. Hilarious in this movie. And the other one was Rose Byrne. Mm -hmm. She was fucking awesome in this movie. Now, the movie was fun. It had its moments. Other times I was just like, I'm not on board. But the times it worked, really worked. One of the standout scenes for me was the Robert De Niro party. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and again, Dave Franco in that scene yes. fucking nails it. Giving an amazing De Niro impression. Amazing! Yeah. Yes. It, it was, uh, it was uh, I, had a, I had a good time with this movie, but I don't anticipate myself revisiting it very often I don't see it happening anytime soon like I said I I did say at the top that I'm not a Seth Rogen fan I don't think Zac Efron was great in this movie I don't think he was bad but I I, he was just right down the middle for me are you in general a Zac Efron fan Manny? no but I I have I have very little experience with him the only movies I can that I could name off the top of my head that I've seen him in would be this and The Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember... Not, not good experience. Sorry? Not between this and The Greatest Showman. That's not exactly fantastic exposure. Yeah, he's fine in The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman was better than I thought it was going to be, that's for sure. I didn't like it. But I can't think of anything else that he's been in that I that I know I've seen. There was one Netflix original movie. I can't remember uh, the exact title of it, but he plays Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Extremely uh, shockingly evil and vile. Yeah, uh, and it it felt like the first movie that I was watching him where he wasn't playing some 20-year-old kid, some 20-year-old frat boy party kid. It actually felt like he was in a real adult role for once. Um, so that might be one worth checking out. Mm-hmm. One that he's in that... Uh that I find is like a major guilty pleasure is uh, this musical called Hairspray. Uh, it, it's one that I don't, re- I don't usually advertise that I like as much as I do. Cause it's, it's, it's very much a musical. Um, I, I guess I mean, people who are around my age, Wes, you're probably even 
a little bit too young for this, I would imagine. Uh, people people really know him from High School Musical, who are my age. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, I have, yeah, I have plenty. I'm, me myself, I never watched High School Musical. I think I was a bit too young for it, but I had a lot of friends that were into it, like obsessed. But when he broke onto the scene from uh, from Disney, I guess he was just mm-hmm. known as the musicals guy. So he went right into yeah. Hairspray. And actually, that's, that's just a really fun movie. I, I don't know if I particularly love his character, but it's a really fun movie. And then uh, I think the next thing I really cared to even watch him in at all, I, he popped up in like 17 again and like New Year's Eve movies that I saw once and forgot about after. But Neighbors was probably the next one that I actually saw him in and liked. And then uh, he went on to play uh, Chris R in a movie that I really like that many has not seen called The Disaster Artist. Ah, I did. I was not aware that he was in that film. Yeah. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. That's also on the, uh, I wouldn't say the top of my watch list, but yeah. I've, that's one that's been on my radar for sure for a while. Worth checking out. Manny, uh, Manny is cringing over there at the mention of the disaster artist, even having not seen it. Uh, it stars Dave Franco, who I hear gives a pretty good performance in Neighbors. So uh, it's, it's it stars worth James it. Franco. Doesn't it star James Franco, not Dave Franco? So they're, both, they're both, both in it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Both are both. They're the co-stars, but uh yeah, well, uh, Manny, I imagine uh, you probably gave Neighbors about a three. That is correct. <clears throat> Next up, I watched a movie on my daughter's recommendation. Oh, boy. Yeah. She was not feeling well this weekend, so we decided to cuddle up and watch a movie. And she'd seen a movie on Netflix that she wanted me to watch with her. And it's the... Action comedy superhero film, We Can Be Heroes. Now, this is written and directed by a writer and director that I love. And his name is Robert Rodriguez. And this movie <clears throat> is not good. <laughs> but if I was 10 years old, this would be the greatest movie of all time. This is 100% a kids movie made for kids it does not have the disney and pixar gleam on it where they make it so adults will enjoy it as well this is 100 percent for kids so if you're under the age of 12 and you're even remotely into superheroes this will be the greatest movie you've ever seen so the plot is when alien invaders capture earth superheroes their kids must learn to work together to save their parents and the planet this movie is a ton of fun with what they do with what they have. It's not super it does not have a high budget, but they work really well with what they have, which is a staple of Robert Rodriguez films. While I'll just flat out tell you right now, I gave this movie a 2. But like I said, if I was under the age of 12, this would be a 5. This movie has a not a lot to say, but it, it's very empowering for kids because the adult superheroes are dispatched quickly and easily, and it's all about these groups, all these superheroes' kids joining together, getting past their differences to help save the world. And it's it's got good messaging, and it's a lot of fun. There is one ongoing gag in this movie that I flat out laughed at every time. They're super 
their super speed hero in the movie. I can't remember what his name was. I uh, fuck. I'm gonna... Is it Wheels? No, Wheels is actually Wheels is. <laughs> oh, blinding fast. No, Wheels is in a wheelchair. That's why he's called oh. Wheels. <laughs> yeah. No, that one. so Blinding Fast is the super speedster superhero. His son's name is Slow-Mo, who is caught in a slow-motion vortex, so he moves in slow motion throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and there are times when you'll see them run past the screen, like the kids are just running at normal speed, and they'll hold on that s- shot and it won't move, and then you'll see Slow-Mo <laughs> behind them. And the kid is moving, like... They filmed him running at a regular speed, but just slowed him down. And even when he falls, he falls in slow motion. Like, everything he does in slow motion. And they play it so well so many times, it made me laugh. Um, So, slow-mo was my... He was my highlight of the movie, and he he made it worth watching. But like I said, it's it's just it's just a kids film that's made for kids. It it has n- next to nothing to offer adults. So what did what did I think of it? My she's lo- what? Se- she's seven. Seven. Yeah. yeah, she loved it. She's like she's like I saw a movie and I want to watch it with you, Dad. And I was like done. <laughs> Is this her new favorite movie of all time? I'm gonna ask her. I'm gonna ask her. Um, yeah. Every movie is her new yeah. favorite. Right? Yeah, pretty much. The one thing as well, like I, I doubt you guys love watch it. There's actually a couple plot twists in this movie that I didn't see coming. Oh shit! Yeah. Well, the, the nature of the movie probably uh, took your guard down a little bit. It did. There was there was one plot twist that I saw coming a mile away that anybody would see. It was still fun, but then yet there's another one, and I was like, I'm like, oh, and I like what they did with it. It was nice. Hmm. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is. A very strange filmmaker. Yes. Because on the one hand, he has Sin City and Planet Terror and uh, is it Desperado? Yes. Yeah, he has all these like really gory action films that are like really intense, hard R. Then he has movies like this. And he also made a movie that, uh, again, people my age, I've yet to meet somebody my age who doesn't like this movie or didn't like it when they were a kid. And that's Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. And what you're telling me about weekend heroes very similar sort of idea very empowering to the kids is like sort of very james bond inspired like they all have gadgets they all have really wacky things going on and i have to imagine if i rewatched it now it wouldn't be good i have to imagine that it has not aged particularly well for adults but everybody i know who's my age loved it when they were a kid it's also the source of my favorite piece of movie trivia, which is that it's the only G-rated movie with an R-rated spinoff, and that's Machete, <laughs> uh, um, uh, which is another Robert Rodriguez movie that's super gory. So yeah, anyway, I just Robert Rodriguez is an enigma. Yes, I can promise you I will not check out We We Can Be Heroes, uh, but I, I'm just sort of intrigued because it, your description of it very much reminds me of Spy Kids. Yeah, uh, it's real on the lines of Spy Kids, 100, 100%. Have you? Did you ever see his other movie, Shark Boy and Lava Girl? I didn't. Uh, I was looking through the cast list. Spoilers for We Can Be Heroes, I guess. I, I see they make an appearance in this. They don't make an appearance. They're in it. They're, yeah. they're part of the as adult. As those characters? As those characters, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's not, uh, it's not Taylor Lautner, right? No. Yeah. No. Shark Boy, Shark Boy never takes his mask off. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually doesn't speak so, to hide the fact that it's not Taylor Lautner. Right. Uh, but yeah, We Can Be Heroes. It's get, it's, it's only, like I said, it's only getting a two because I'm an adult. If I was 12 years old, it would be a six out of five. <laughs> also because you don't understand math. That's right. Uh, next up, uh, I've been hitting up these old romantic comedies. And so I checked out the 2009 uh, rom-com with uh, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And that's The Proposal. Oh, God. Yeah. I Again, I remember seeing this. Uh, the plot, a pushy boss forces her young assistant to marry her. In order to keep her visa status in the U.S. and avoid deportation to Canada, funny that uh, Ryan Reynolds is the U.S. citizen in this movie, and Sandra Bullock yeah. is the Canadian citizen. Uh, this movie is only kept afloat because of Ryan Reynolds. Sandra Bullock is okay in it, but if you're someone that likes Ryan Reynolds and his sense of humor, his style of humor, then you're going to get some enjoyment out of this. Uh, which I did. I gave it a three out of five. There's really not much to discuss here. It's just a, a rom com that has some pretty decent moment, pretty decent moments with Ryan Reynolds. Um, there is <laughs> with let's see, this was made in 2009. So now it being 2021 and people being a little bit more sensitive to other cultures, there is a massively offensive cultural appropriation scene in this movie Oof. and it's first nations that they're culturally appropriating so for the listeners out there that is actually my nationality yeah you've got some angry letters to write manny uh, i it, i'm i'm the kind of person that i i am not denigrating those that find it offensive but i really have no problem with cultural appropriation if somebody of not of my culture wants to enjoy and do things that are my culture, fly at her. Go it. It's it's your if you get enjoyment from it, that's all for it. But this is definitely I could understand why some why people of my culture or serious left-leaning people would find it offensive because it kind of is a little bit, but whatever. I, it, <laughs> it doesn't I don't get offended easily, but it definitely that out of the whole movie it's the one part that definitely didn't age well. So I gave it a three, and it, all three points are because of Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I have nothing interesting to say about this movie. I know very little about it other than it. I have 0% desire to watch it. Yeah, I, I, there's other rom-coms that I would definitely steer you towards for sure. Hmm. I'm assuming, Wes, you haven't seen The Proposal. Uh, no, I cannot say that. <laughs> okay, perfect. I see that it's on Disney Plus, though. Is it on the new Star feature? Yeah, yeah that's where I watched it. They had it. some good movies on there. They did. I was surprised. They did. Yeah. And I, I'm, uh, I'm excited. And yeah, you, you chose the, the proposal, Manny. <laughs> you took the opportunity to watch the proposal. I did. I did. I decided All to right. get some weak ones out of the way. Yeah. Uh, next up was a movie I'd never heard of. Never heard of and it just recently got added onto netflix and i saw the cast and i was like huh i think i'm gonna have to check this out and this is the 2011 they listed as a comedy drama romance i would go with that it's called 10 years now here are the people in this movie in no particular order you have channing tatum Justin Long, Max Minghella, 
Chris Pratt, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Rosario Dawson, and the final person that decided that really got me to watch it is someone that is ascending my favorite actor list, Oscar Isaac. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac sings in this movie, just like one of Sam's favorite movies. Inside Lewin Davis. And as an added bonus, he sings a song that Oscar Isaac wrote himself. Really? Yeah. So 10 years, um, 10 years, the plot, the night of their high school reunion, a group of friends realize they still haven't quite grown up in some ways. Now, this was released in 2011. This is just before Chris Pratt made Guardians of the Galaxy. This was just before he realizes a thing called a gym, because he is a chunky monkey. You, you know what? Uh, I started rewatching Parks and Rec. I'm, uh, through my, I'm going through my second watch of Parks and Rec, yep. and there's one season where he just shows up and is shredded. Like, he, he through, like <laughs> four seasons of the show, he's just like the fluffy, lovable, mildly chubby friend. And then season five, he just shows up and he's ripped. <laughs> They're like, oh, I guess he was making Guardians then. He also, by the way, in that show is uh, in a relationship with Aubrey Plaza, or, or rather her character. So I, I'm curious to hear if they have anything in this movie as well. Any scenes together? Him and Aubrey Plaza? Yeah. No. Aubrey oh, okay. Plaza, if I'm not, hold on, I just got to double check what her character's name is. Olivia. Huh. No. He's married in the movie. He's married to Ari Grainer's character, Sam. Mm. Okay. And I don't know who she is. Aubrey Plaza, Olivia, Olivia, Olivia. Huh. I'm trying to remember who that character was. Oh! oh <laughs> Aubrey Plaza... She's actually she's she's got a very small role in this movie. Um, her little subplot is she's there as the wife of somebody's character that comes back, and her husband in high school was a wigger, and she didn't know. And it comes back, and she's just like, "What the fuck." Uh. Yeah, she doesn't really have much to do, but she still has she still got an okay. I had a surprisingly good time with this movie. There is a almost tear-inducing moment with Oscar Isaac in it. Uh there's just a lot to like about this movie. I don't remember there's probably a couple times that I laughed out loud. Uh, Justin Long and Max Minghella play best friends, and they have a couple of pretty fun moments. It's. Uh, do you remember a while ago, Sam? I watched a couple movies: uh, The Big Chill and Saint Elmo's Fire. Yeah, those movies are along. This movie's along that same line. It's about friends reconnecting after a passage of time. So this is a 10-year reunion. Uh, it's it's fairly well done. It Oh, it also has one of the um, the other Mara sister in it. Kate. Yeah, Kate. The one from uh, House of Cards. Yes. Yeah, she's in it. 
she's oh she's like she's fine, but she plays she's got a little bit of a bigger role than Aubrey Plaza does. It's I don't know, it's fine. It's worth checking out. I in all honesty, and I mean no offense, I don't know if it'll resonate as much with you guys because of your age. I think once you get closer to that ten year reunion, or in my case, a twenty five year reunion. God damn it. Um it's it's gonna hit home a little bit more. So it does it's it's fine in regards to that. When you get a little bit older, these movies start to resonate a little bit more. I don't know. It it might be worth checking out. It's 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 got some stuff working for it, but again, it's as I'll say every time, there are a ton of other movies that I would recommend for you guys to watch, but it's not a big ask. It's an it's an hour forty. It is on Netflix. I gave it a three out of five. I won't lie. This is a movie that I might come back to every once in a while. There are some storylines and some themes explored in here that I've gone through myself. So I don't know. I li- I-, I liked it. I ha- I had a good time. Well, uh, I like Oscar Isaac just as much as you do. Uh, I know you're a big uh, Justin Long guy, which kind of uh, surprises me to mm-hmm. even say out loud, but I know that's the case. Um, all I guess all I have to say is thank you for reminding me that I'm almost seven years removed from high school. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and Wes is what? One year? Two years? Uh, coming up on one year. You like fucker. Eight <laughs> Old man um, over here. <laughs> all right. So yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead, Wes. I was just going to say quickly that it's interesting. Like, it seems like it has a very enticing and large cast Mm -hmm. for a movie that's only an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah, they they don't give a lot. Every character has their own plot, and there's not a lot of real growth in there. Not a lot of exploration of other things. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the the example I would give if I was trying to describe that to someone would be uh, Love Actually. I feel like would be it, a good, just so, like a big cast with so many characters with so many different, like just kind of side plots and love interests that it's like, you just seem to get lost a bit. It's sometimes n- it works and sometimes it doesn't. You definitely, you, don't, you definitely don't get lost. They keep everything mm-hmm. going. They give everybody enough screen time that nobody is short-shifted. But yeah, it that that's a fair that's a fair comparison. But it, it's actually. it's it's yeah, it's much it's a fair comparison, not in quality, Sam, but in the type of movie that it is. Love actually mm-hmm. is overrated, and I will die on that hill. I I would agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will I will disagree with both of you. I like that movie. Really? Yeah, you will yeah, me on that hill. Yeah. Wow. Uh. Okay. I then also found another movie on Disney plus that I hadn't seen in a while and had been desperately waiting for the price of it to come down on any streaming service for me to rent, to revisit. And that's the 1998 action thriller starring William Smith, enemy of the state. William Smith, William Smith. Yes. Wouldn't that be his name? Oh, is it, is it, is it Bill? Is it Billy Smith? I don't know. Bill? <laughs> There's got to be some other name we haven't gone with that he goes by. Big Big Willie? Big Willie, yeah. Oh, oh. The, the, you mean the Fresh Prince? I do mean the Fresh Prince. Oh, okay, got it. So this movie stars uh, Will Smith and Gene Hackman and John Voight. 
I remember seeing this in the theater. This cast is loaded with a bunch of character actors that in the 90s was just jaw-dropping. This is directed by Tony Scott, and this is a fucking Tony Scott film. I don't know if you guys have a lot of experience with Tony Scott movies, but his movies are very kinetic and very... They're along the same lines in regards to... Mm, that's unfair. I'm going to continue with my thought, but it's an, it's an, an unfair comparison in regards that it, it's not as bad. He's very similar to Michael Bay. There's not as many cuts as a Michael Bay film, but there's still more than your average director. That's kind of what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Tony Scott is, is a, I personally think he's a much better director than Michael Bay. Uh, and if you're wondering, Sam, Tony Scott is Ridley Scott's brother. Oh, I wasn't. But... Oh. Okay. So the movie was also a beautiful reminder of what an incredible actor Gene Hackman is. And the movie is a little prescient as it's about a video surveillance state <laughs> as the government is uh, tapping your phones and tapping in your computer and all that. Uh, oh, the plot, a lawyer becomes targeted by a corrupt politician and his NSA goons when he accidentally receives key evidence to a politically motivated crime. It's well done. It's well acted. It's a lot of fun. It's, lo- it's, it's two hours and 12 minutes. It does not need to be that long. There's a lot you could cut. Uh, it also stars possibly our Oscar-nominated Best Director from this year, Regina King. She's uh, she's really she's really good in it, as she is in everything. This movie's definitely fun. It's worth checking out. Oh, I, I'm, I'm just fucking loving seeing Gene Hackman on the screen again, and I'm probably going to end up going down a Gene Hackman rabbit hole. Uh, I'm fighting every urge... And I don't know why I'm fighting it, but I, I want to fucking watch Unforgiven again so bad. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So, Enemy of the State, a ton of fun. I get, it's a little bit more of an ask at two hours and 12 minutes. But if you're looking for, a, like, a fun action thriller that is made in 1998, that you'll be like, oh, my God, all of that is true now. Enemy <laughs> of the State, worth checking out. I gave it a three out of five. I uh, spent... Uh, kind of an embarrassing amount of time on IMDb trying to figure out why Tony Scott hasn't directed anything since 2010. <laughs> uh, Manny is laughing because Tony Scott is dead. <laughs> uh, died in 2012. Yeah. So yeah, that would, that would do it. That has put a, a dent in his filmography. Yes. Um, I know you also, I'm going through his filmography. You've talked about Crimson Tide before. I yes. I uh, haven't seen it. Crimson uh, Tide. Seen- go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have seen Top Gun, however. Mm-hmm. Which would arguably, I guess, be one of his most famous ones. Would probably be his most famous one. Yeah. 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 And, and he did True Romance as well. Yes. Have and you seen... Have you? The, s- no, I haven't seen that, but the oh. screenplay is written by Tarantino, correct? Sure is. Yeah. Woo. Okay, that's been, that's, that's been on the top of my watch list for a little bit. I know. I, honestly, I'm not the biggest action movie guy. It's it, it's not the 
my my favorite genre by any stretch of the means. True. Do you have have a favorite action movie? Do I have a favorite action movie? Like what Uh, do we think? Maybe something something like Die Hard. Well, I haven't seen Die Hard. His favorite action. His his favorite action. I have to come back to you on that one. Well, it'll be Tenet. Tenet, yeah, yeah. Tenet, Tenet was, would be up there too. Tenet was your number one of last year, so that's gotta be one of your favorite yeah. action movies. Yeah, I, I'd have to come back to come back to you on that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could name yeah, that off the one, top of my head. It's a genre you don't really pay much attention to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Next up, I watched a sci-fi thriller, Sam, that was written by a man that you love. This movie was written by. Alex Garland. This movie was directed by Danny Boyle. It is a sci-fi thriller by the name of Sunshine. Oh, and I haven't seen it. Yes. Uh... A team of international astronauts are sent on a dangerous mission to reignite the dying sun with a nuclear fission bomb in the year 2057. I don't want to say too much about this movie. Because I believe it's a movie that Sam's going to want to watch when he gets a chance. So I don't Mm want to spoil anything. But if anybody really enjoys a good sci-fi movie or a spaceship movie, because it's all set out, out in outer space, you can't do much worse. No, that's not what I want to say. (laughs) <laughs> you, you could do a lot worse you could do a lot worse than sunshine sunshine is incredibly entertaining i do have some problems with the movie especially the last act i'll i'll put it there but the rest of the movie is really well done it has a strong cast a great plot it's a lot of fun and again just before he becomes famous uh it stars chris evans before he became captain america Oh shit! And it's oh, wow. It's uh, a nice reminder that the gentleman has some chops in him. He has a lot to do in this movie. He plays a. He's got a, a very big role. It's got some really cool set pieces. Uh, also from the MCU, it has a very much younger and much skinnier Benedict Wong. Oh, <gasps> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it also has the aforementioned Rose Byrne in it as well. Nice. It's got Cillian Murphy. It's got Michelle Yeoh. It's it's That's a good cast. It is a it is a good cast. It's what is it like? Two thousand four, two thousand five, seven, two thousand seven. Right. Yeah. It's it's to- it's one hundred percent worth checking out. I gave Sunshine a three out of five. Hmm. I'll be honest. No, uh, you know what? That's all I'm going to say. Three out of five. Out of <laughs> I five. think I know what you're going to say, and. I, uh, it has been on my radar, this movie. Yep. It really has. Um, all that I've heard about it has been basically what you've said, that uh, it's, a, it's a really solid sci-fi movie, and it takes a pretty steep left turn uh, towards the, the back act. Yep, it sure does. That, that, that's all that I've heard about I it. I can tell you right now that if uh, if it had a I'll – just, I'll just say this right now. If it had a different ending, it would be a four out of five for me. Mm-hmm. Now, what that ending is, I would not be able to give you, but what they chose is one that I don't enjoy. So I like the first 80% of this movie. The last act I have I have some problems with that, that take down my enjoyment. 
but Good. the movie is a lot of fun. I gave it a three out of five. Okay. <laughs> Next up, I watched another movie from 1998, and this is a spinoff from the Best Picture nominated movie, The Fugitive. Oh, I did not know it had a spinoff. It did. You've seen The Fugitive, Sam? Uh, yeah. I think I watched it on TV when I was a kid. Okay. I, w- I was probably like 10. Okay. So this is a spinoff with Tommy Lee Jones' character, mm. uh, Samuel Gerard. It's called U.S. Marshals. U.S. Marshals Samuel Gerard and his team of marshals are assigned to track down Sheridan, who has been accused of a double murder. This is basically almost rehashing The Fugitive. It's Sam Gerard chasing down somebody who may or may not be guilty of the crime that they committed. This is a... I don't want to say it's a guilty pleasure, but I fucking love Tommy Lee Jones' Oscar-winning performance as Samuel Gerard. So this is a character I love, and he slips right back into the character... All of his crew from The Fugitive are back again in this movie. So he's got the same people to bounce off of. I had a really great time rewatching this. I had a lot of fun. It's, again, not quite your your cup of tea, uh, Wes, as it is an action movie. But ah. it's... It, it, if this was piquing your interest at all, Wes, go with The Fugitive <laughs> first. Because The Fugitive is a fantastic... Okay. A fantastic movie. Yeah, was, that's on my watch list. That's been okay. on my radar for what, a while. This is what I'd recommend. Watch The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to shoot The Fugitive high up on your watch list, but when you get around to watching The Fugitive, if you watch it and if you really enjoy Tommy Lee Jones' performance as Samuel Gerard, you're like, oh, that's a fun character, then watch U.S. Marshals because the movie centers around him and he plays the character perfectly He's a lot of fun to be around. It's just a it's a really well crafted performance and character that is perfect for Tommy Lee Jones. So interesting. I had I had a really great time. I wavered back and forth on it. I ended up giving this one a three. Hmm. It also stars a very young, obviously, as this movie is now what are we looking at? Uh, twenty three years ago. A very young Robert Downey Jr. Oh, indeed. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had a really great time with this. Uh, it does have a 47 Metascore. I, I, that's honestly mind-boggling to me. I don't think the movie's that bad. But I had a lot of fun. U.S. Marshals, three out of four. <laughs> and last up, wow. Wow, already? Yeah, I know. Already? <laughs> yeah. Uh, was a movie that I was super excited to watch. And I'm about 99% sure this is going to be up for Best Picture this year. And that's the drama film Minari. Oh. This, uh, the plot is a Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. This stars Stephen Young and some other Korean actors I'd never seen before. I had a really great time with this movie. This movie is incredibly well acted. I wouldn't be surprised to see Stephen Young get a Best Actor nomination, but this year is stacked with incredible performances, so he might not make the cut. The 
woman that plays the grandma, whose name I can't seem to find right now. Might be, oh, Esther Moon uh, is her name, it looks like. Maybe. I don't know. Nope. Yep. Nope. Who knows? Anyways, that must be an order of appearance. I hate how IMDb does that. Yeah. Anyways, whoever plays the grandma is spectacular. She, yeah, it must be her. Esther Moon. Mrs. O. Nope, that's not her. She's the other lady at the the other place. Is it? Uh... Oh, Yu Jung Yoon. Yeah, I was just about to say, playing Sunja. Yeah. Yu Jung Yoon. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. She plays the grandmother. She has a meaty and very fun role in this movie. Uh, the movie is deliciously shot. Incre- some really great cinematography in this. Incre- it's so incredibly well lit. It's a very touching film. And yet, despite everything that went right for this movie, it just did not resonate with me. The whole time I'm watching it, I just wasn't as affected as I was hoping I would be or by what I was led to believe it was. All the accolades towards this movie, the 88 Metascore, all of it make perfect sense. It just didn't hit home with me. I had a great time with Minari. I don't see myself revisiting it anytime soon. But if it won a bunch of awards, I'm not, I 100% understand why and would not disagree. But Minari for me only got a three out of five. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's surprising to me. It's surprising to me as well. I won't lie. Uh, where did you check it out? I rented it. Rented it on yeah. uh, Google Play? Yeah. Hmm. That's all I've been watching. That's it. That seemed quick for 10 movies. Yeah. I, I tried my best. I'm sorry. I was I was bogging us down. I wanted to talk about Fever Pitch and Fifty First Dates. I know. <laughs> we can be heroes. I had something to say about those terrible movies. You really did, Sam. What have you been watching? Well, now that nobody is left listening to the podcast, I can safely say what I have been watching. Thank thank you both for that. Um, I watched three movies this week outside of the one that we are going to be talking about today. One of them is an animated movie that I have been wanting to check out for a little bit. It's not the one that you think I'm going to talk about. We're going to save that for last, of course. Um, I watched a little movie called Kubo and the Two Strings. That's the one I was talking about. Okay, perfect. Um, I don't have the information pulled up on it because I was <laughs> going through uh, all of all of yours. Uh, I got it for you, bud. All your 10 movies. But uh, basically, it's just, a, it's just a fun little animated movie. Um, from uh, an animated studio. Leica. 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 Leica, thank you, yeah. Well, another animated studio called Leica. Uh, The plot, a young boy named Kubo must locate a magical suit of armor worn by his late father in order to defeat a vengeful spirit from the past. Um, This movie was horrifying at times. (laughs) This is a kid's movie. It's animated. It has an 84 Metascore, by the way. Um, Can I just kind of correct you on that? Sure. This is stop motion animated, not mm-hmm. CGI. Oh, did I say CGI? No, you just said animated. So I just want people to understand that this is not hand drawn. This is not CGI. This is stop motion. And this is stop motion to another fucking level. This is. I- I'm hesitating before I say it just to make sure I'm not wrong. But no, I think it's the best stop motion I've ever seen. This is easily the best stop motion I've ever seen. It- uh, it's incredible. The 
lighting the, the use of light and shadow in it is fantastic uh it's visually spectacular uh it, it has uh, it's one of the most imaginative plots to a movie to a kids movie i've seen in a long long time as i was about to say before we got onto the animation it is fucking horrifying at times this is for kids yes and there are some parts that disturbed me there were some parts that weren't just scary for kids they were actually like unsettling um the the primary villains the sisters are fucking eerie they're just like these witch looking things who are always wearing like these these uh guy fox masks sort of and they are so fucking creepy and then uh there's all this really creepy visual stuff this movie is worth the cost of admission for the visuals alone yes breathtaking yes um i think some aspects of the plot didn't always necessarily do it for me. Um, I honestly did not particularly care for the character Beetle, who is voiced by Matthew McConaughey. Really? Yeah, he he had his moments for sure, but I think a lot of his comedy missed for me. Interesting. Um, Yeah, it was just a little bit, uh, I don't know, simple, I guess, a little bit low-hanging fruit for some of his jokes. Just uh, a little obvious, but I mean, I had no real problem with them. It, It just didn't hit quite as hard as it should have of course manny your girlfriend is in this movie charlie's theron uh she has a, a small point as a small part as the mother um i think the character of kubo is a really fascinating character he was blinded as a child um by his magic grandfather and there's this whole mythology behind this movie that i i would do i would do injustice to try to describe it off the top of my head but the movie does really do an excellent job of creating this whole vast world and all these other, all these characters with deep, rich histories interacting with each other and all, all this it's rich with backstory and, and strife and betrayal. And there's all this mythology that happened beneath the scenes. This, this feels like it is uh, a cinematic universe waiting to happen. In my opinion, uh, it's just so full of backstory um, I think some of the the child, more childish plot elements, including the comic relief character Beetle, kind of missed a little bit for me. But all in all, I was really in awe of Kubo and the Two oh. Strings. Uh, it uh, and it's it's about. I mean, Kubo has magical powers with his. It's not a guitar, but it's, it's some kind of stringed instrument. Uh, he has magical powers that he uses by basically playing guitar. Like, how fucking cool is that? <laughs> That just made the child and me giggle. Um, great time with Kubo and the two strings. Manny, anything else uh, you want to say about it before I get my rating? Uh, I, it is jaw-dropping. There are moments in this movie where I was just like, how is this not CGI? How the fuck did they do that with stop motion? It is amazing what they were able to accomplish in this movie. It was absolutely a treasure trove and a treat to watch. I, I really fucking love this movie. Uh, sorry, Wes. Uh, go ahead. I'm just looking. Uh, I have this pulled up on my browser right now. It says that this is the longest stop motion film to date, beating out Coraline in 2009. I think Coraline's by the same studio. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure it is. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I didn't even think about it like that. I remember turning this on, being like, "Oh, I just need something a little bit short." But I guess yeah, stop motion. Uh. I think of like the nightmare before Christmas being, I think like an hour 13 <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I think that was the first stop motion uh, movie uh, full length one. Um, yeah. I had a really good time with Kubo. I gave it a four. Uh, it's uh, a visual treat. 
and just just good fun for the whole family if very dark at times so that was that was hmm. a lot awesome yeah i fucking uh, love that movie well done plus, are you like an animated movie guy at all um well i i love pixar yeah um and i love all the disney animated stuff um i can't really i don't know many studios off the top of my head but uh Pixar's like yeah, Pixar's the big one, and any odd animation film that comes on, I won't be mad at. I recommend checking out Kubo. I think Manny would probably echo that sentiment. Ooh, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's on, it's it on Netflix. It sounds interesting. Okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll shoot that to the top. It, it's, it sounds like it'd be up my alley, so. Yeah. And I think when Manny talked about it, uh, when he watched it, he recommended I do something that I didn't wind up doing, which is check out the cover of While My Guitar Gently Weeps that plays during the credits. Oh yes, uh, the end credits. So good, so good, isn't it? <laughs> when it started playing, I was. Uh, I remembered there was something about Kubo that you wanted me to do. Like you want, I thought maybe you wanted me to check out the trailer or something like that. Uh, I couldn't remember. And then when the credits, the end credits started playing, I was like, Oh yeah, right. The, the while my guitar gently weeps, and uh, yeah, it's really good cover. There's also I don't know if you watched the entire end credits, and I probably promise I'm going to move on from this movie. I don't know if you watched the entire end credits, but there is like a making of end credit scene there's like a little behind the scenes uh look i at think how I... they shot the do you remember the skeleton scene no the uh, the scene where they uh, it's uh they're trying to find the sword of the armor and it's stuck oh, in a skeleton yes they they sh there's a scene in the end credits of them making that scene of them shooting it and it it is a fucking undertaking yes it's a very very difficult job that they have so uh kubo and the two strings four stars uh, I also watched a movie this week that Manny and I both love. I have no idea if Wes has seen it. Uh, okay. I, I'm hoping that he maybe has, but if not, this one should arguably go even above Kubo. It was, I believe, if my memory serves, my fifth favorite movie of 2019, and it was Manny's oh. second oh. favorite <gasps> of 2019. Uh. I know what it is! What, what, what did I watch? It's Booksmart! <laughs> Oh, it's Booksmart. I was expecting Parasite for some reason. Wes, have you seen uh, Booksmart? No, I have not. Okay, well, let me let me educate you, my friend. Let me learn you something. Uh, plot, on the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realize they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. So, uh, Wes, if you haven't seen Booksmart, have you seen Superbad? Uh, yes, I have. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Just think Superbad with female leads. That's, that's okay. basically, basically what's going on in this movie. Um, oh. It's directed by Olivia Wilde. Uh, the, the stars, Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein. Uh, first of all, Manny, uh, maybe you can correct me on this, but I think that I'm correct. Beanie Feldstein is Jonah Hill's sister. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever have some of the best chemistry I've seen in a comedy oh. maybe ever. Maybe ever? They just Yes. They just have Yes. electric friendship between the two of them. The the first scene we see between them is uh Caitlin Dever's character um Amy is picking up Molly, Beanie Feldstein's character, oh. and they just like get out of their cars and start dancing. Like there's there's no music playing. I mean, we the audience hear music at first because the opening credits, and then it cuts out to real life, and they're just like dancing in front of each other, just having a little dance battle for no reason off the top of the movie, and they're just having so much fun. Oh. Um, one of the things I said to Manny about Booksmart 
that uh, that I love so much is that if you compare it to something like Superbad, which for mm-hmm. the record, I actually like better than this movie overall. But um, if you compare it to something like Superbad, a lot of the comedy in Superbad and movies of that nature come from the main characters bringing each other down and insulting each other. One of the things I like about Booksmart is that Amy and Molly are constantly hyping each other up. They're constantly just looking at each other and saying, no, who allowed you to be this gorgeous? And like a lot of the comedy comes from that instead. Oh, okay. About it is just like so heartwarming and so such a refreshing take on that genre. And it's Mm -hmm. something that I I really liked and I didn't even realize was missing. Um, It's got a really good supporting cast as well. Uh, Jessica Williams, Jason Sudeikis, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte all have uh, really good parts, uh, as well as, I'm trying to find this one character, Bill- Skylar uh, Gisondo, I think. Yes, as Jared. Jared. Jared is fucking hilarious. He is absolutely hysterical. Uh, he's just a really heartwarming guy with a lot of money and a lot of enthusiasm, <laughs> and who's just always trying to do the right thing. He's a really good supporting character. Uh, Booksmart is worth the cost of admission for the chemistry between the leads alone. Their friendship is so authentic and so real. Their performances are so fun and so hilarious. Uh, There's a scene with them accidentally being drugged, uh, which has me in stitches every time. my Uh, God. There's a recurring joke with a stuffed panda bear, which I don't know the last time I laughed that hard at a movie. Uh, It's so funny. Um, Wes, I know you just elevated Kubo and the Two Strings to the top of your watch list. I think Booksmart should go above that. I really do. Yes, 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 yes. This is something. This is one that I, I have heard about, uh, and especially when you compare it to a movie like Superbad, it's yeah. it's easy to want to shoot it to the top. So, uh, yeah, that'll definitely have to be one that I have to check out. I you was wondering though, does the uh, the actress Beanie Feldstein? Yeah. Uh, has she been in anything else recently? Because it, I just, uh, I feel like I recognize her. I'm just not seeing, uh, like any. Uh, of the movies that she's in that I would personally recognize. Well, I mean, there are moments, or... in, there are moments in, uh, in book smart where I look at her mm-hmm. and I'm just like, Oh my God, it just looks like Jonah Hill, like dressed up in women's clothing. <laughs> she had a role in lady bird. My friend, I was, that's oh. what I just saw. no wait, Yeah. No. Okay. That's exactly where, I, where I recognize her from. She plays, uh, the best friend yeah, Julie. Uh, in the movie, Julie. Yeah, or w- one of the best, the best girlfriends. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I she was a standout in in Lady Bird personally for me. So that that makes me wanna wanna check it out maybe. Yeah, she's fucking hilarious in this. Mm-hmm. The the big criticism when I watched Booksmart the first time, big criticism that I had of it was actually exactly that. That's just too similar to Superbad. Hits a lot of the same beats. Hit mm-hmm. has a lot of the same themes and concepts um there's like basically the whole plot is them uh trying to have one last party before they go their separate ways after high school like takes place at their grad like it's very 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 similar in a lot of ways but you know what if the biggest problem with this movie is that it's too similar to one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time (laughs) then so be it like that that's just whatever if you're going to be similar to a movie be similar to that one then you have anything you want to add about booksmart i want wes to watch this as soon as possible I fucking right. I fucking love this movie. This was my number 2. This is a movie that I'm going to rewatch a million times over and over again. And I cannot stress again how 
Sam nailed it. These two might have some of the best chemistry on screen in the last decade. They, they, their friendship on screen is spectacular. And the way they can play off each other, like Olivia Wilde knocked it out of the park by casting these two girls together. It's, uh, it's uh, amazing. There's a lot to like about this movie. I had such a great time. And I, I, it just warmed my heart that Sam liked it almost as much as I did. And I, I love this – was, this was one that I was pushing on people in 2019 as much as possible because it was criminally underseen. It's I – I, I really enjoyed this movie, and now I have to watch it. Yeah, I, I'm looking at my top 10. I currently have it ranked sixth that year. I think looking at it now, it could probably go as high as four, right behind 1917. I think it's really that good. It's excellent. Yep. Um, one last movie I watched this week. Uh, I also happen to know that both of you watched this this week uh, on the recommendation of Rachel. Correct. We checked out a little animated movie called Wolf Walkers that came out this past year. Manny, do you have all the plot stuff in front of you? Yeah, I got it. You want it? Yeah, sure. A young apprentice hunter and her father journey to Ireland to help wipe out the last wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe rumored to transform into wolves by night. So uh, it's one that I had, I guess, kind of on my radar, just as one that I, I knew I should probably check out for 2020 completion purposes, uh, one that was getting a lot of buzz. And I didn't know anything about it. I was really happy to go in pretty blind. Uh, I had a really good time with Wolf Walkers. Um, you, we just talked about great animation with Kubo. Obviously a different style. But the hand-drawn animation in Wolf Walkers is so good as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm probably just going to sound like a broken record and repeat a lot of the things I said with Kubo. But the use of light and shadow in Wolf Walkers blew me the fuck away. Um, the the light highlights on people's faces with rays of light coming through trees and stuff like that, or going into caves. Like the movie just looks amazing. Uh, there's a bunch of scenes uh, with uh, from the perspective of animals where you can sort of see scent trails as yes. well. Yep. Uh, those are really cool. I, that I thought was a really imaginative way of shooting those scenes. It's got this really rough, art style and i don't mean that as an insult like a lot of the uh the color fill sort of like goes over the lines at times or you can see almost sort of like uh like sketch marks that were erased uh, at certain points if you're really looking for them it's just it's a, it's a very rough sort of style and i i like it, it it's intentional and it uh it feels very uh very tactile uh for lack of a better word um, as far as the plot itself, and I promise I'm going to let you guys jump in on this. Uh, as far as the plot itself, I thought it was really imaginative. Uh, this is not a world that I have been privy to. I, I imagine it's probably based on like Gaelic myths or something like that, um, or like ancient Irish myths. I don't really don't know anything about that, but I have to imagine that it is. And uh, I I was having a lot of fun with this world. The friendship that's developed between our two main characters is uh, really wholesome and a lot of fun. And uh, overall, just had a good time. Also, Sean Bean's in this movie. I was really disappointed that he didn't die. And again, I mean that in a nice way. Just because <laughs> Sean Bean dies from everything. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Wolf Walkers had a good time. Uh, Manny, uh, why don't you uh, take up the take up the mantle? I love this movie i watched this 
before it became uh, Rachel's recommendation. For those of you, yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you outside of the podcast social circle, we started, or we started, I started. Uh, my narcissism kicked in, and we called it the Manny Movie Club. Yeah. So uh, this was this round's recommendation from Rachel, and uh, so far everybody's loved it, and I, I, it's it's easy to see why. The animation, like you said, is really great. I'm I'm not complaining about the 2D animation. My only thing is is there are numerous scenes where if this was done in CGI, it would have been breathtaking. Mm. Breathtakingly gorgeous. But I love what they did. It's the, the voice acting, I don't know who the the actresses are that played the young girls, I've never heard of them, but they were fucking amazing. Yes, Sean Bean, great as always. Uh, the funny thing is, is, the guy that plays the Lord Protector, his name is Simon McBurney. The whole time, I kept thinking it was the actor who played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Oh, oh. yeah. I can't think of his actual name. Yeah, I, I can't remember his actual name either. But Aiden Gillen. Nice. Oh, good guy. have to pull it up. That's a good. That's a good get. Game of Thrones knowledge, right yeah. there, baby. <laughs> he, uh, he, he. Uh, that the whole time it was going on, I thought that that's who it was, and I was like, how appropriate that Littlefinger is playing the villain to Sean Bean in uh, in this movie. But it's not. It's this other actor who has actually done some some roles that I really enjoy, and he's been in some movies that I really enjoy as well. Uh, you would remember him, or I shouldn't say you remember him, Sam, but he's, uh, I'm pretty sure Simon McBurney was in um, shit. Munich. Oh yeah, no, you're right. I wouldn't remember him. <laughs> That's too long ago. Yeah. Uh, but the the movie is the movie is good. I had a great time, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely one that people should check out. It is on Apple Plus. Wes, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, this was one that I saw um, just kind of roaming around on uh, Apple Plus TV. I didn't really think too much about it. Um, but it was on my radar, uh, and then I s heard that it was on Rachel's top 10 list, uh, and then she made it her pick. Uh, and I was just there thinking that it would have been just kind of a throwaway. Um, I didn't think too much about it, but then I actually checked it out, uh, and it was totally not at all what I was expecting. Uh, I wasn't expecting an Irish folktale. Um, for some reason, seeing the cover art, uh, and seeing the style of animation, uh, I don't know why, but something in my brain almost made me think this was going to be some type of uh, First Nations story or um, something like that. Uh, but it totally wasn't. It was an Irish uh, folktale, uh, which I loved because, as I said before, I am a total sucker for anything to do with medieval Britain, um, any sort of... Uh, movie that's set in that time period uh, like Wolf Walkers I will just instantly fall in love with um, so yeah this this was great the cinematography um, or I guess the the hand-drawn animation was uh, was beautiful um, one scene that I just like wanted to point out probably my favorite scene was when they first became wolves together uh, the mm. girls and they were running through the forest and I just thought there was beautiful colors and beautiful music along with that uh, with that scene, so yeah, it's definitely one worth checking out. So Sam, I, I oh. highlight of the movie. 
Sam, just before we continue on, I actually want to correct myself. Uh, the the Simon McBurney uh, was not in Munich. I have him confused with an actor named Matthew Almarack. Uh, Simon McBurney, the the one that was pulling up in my mind was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So uh-huh. I just want to cr- easy mistake to make. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I, that reminds me of a uh, what's what's the actor that you're always correcting people on that he wasn't in the mummy or that he wasn't in uh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane people always think Billy Zane was in the mummy. Yes, Billy Zane. Billy Zane and Arnold Vosloo. Yes, <laughs> you're always correcting them. Um, yeah, Wolf Walkers. I, I guess if I if there's anything that I didn't like about it, I said this in the group chat last night. The Lord Protector really didn't do it for me as a villain. He's just kind of there. Again, it's a kids movie, so I guess if you make him too intimidating, you might scare some kids off. But really, I never felt him to be too big of a presence. Um, I don't. I don't. It. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sam. Go ahead. No, that I was just saying that's about it. That's all. I, I, while I can understand that complaint, the I don't think the movie's focused on the antagonist. It's a mm-hmm. it's a minor thing. It's more about the two girls. Yeah, it's about their friendship. Yeah, about their bond. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave it a four. It's pretty good. Nice. Mm-hmm. I had the same rating as well. Wicked. All right. So that's what we've been watching. That's only been over an hour and a half of the show, and we still have an incredible movie to discuss. One of my all time favorites. So let's get to it because uh, Sam's got to go to bed at some point. Yeah, Wes, Wes said before we came on air, something like, on the off chance this episode goes long, and I'm like, who, buddy? <laughs> the off chance, eh? All right, so the film that we are all here to discuss, and for those that actually have decided to stick it out, we are about to get into it, and that is the film Seven. It was released September 22nd, 1995, directed by David Fincher, a.k.a. God. Writer Andrew Kevin Walker, starring Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, and Kevin Spacey, has a meta score of 65. That is 35 points too low. It went 0 for 1 at the Oscars. Uh, it was nominated for Best Film Editing and lost to Apollo 13. It had a budget of $33 million. It grossed 100 in the U.S. and 327 worldwide. As a side note... The $327 million worldwide made it the, funny enough, seventh highest grossing film of 1995. (laughs) The plot, two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. Now, let's work youngest to oldest. Wes, (laughs) what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Seven and... When did you watch this movie? And tell us your oh. initial thoughts. Okay. Uh, so the this movie uh, came onto my radar thanks to you guys. Uh, I don't remember exactly which episode it was, but I was listening to one, uh, and Manny had recently watched it, and I remember one of the urgent messages within that podcast was stop whatever you're doing right now and go and watch this movie. Uh, So what I did as soon as I got off of work, it was Black Friday. So I headed up to the mall and I got seven for, uh, I think I got it for like five bucks. It was quite the smoking deal. But anyways, uh, I planned on watching it that weekend. uh, Would have been better if it was seven bucks. Yeah, uh, that would be that would have been too perfect. Anyways, uh, um, I attempted to watch it that weekend, uh, but I was going through a move. I just moved across Kamloops um, about a month and a half ago, uh, 
and I try and then I tried watching it during the week and then I just got a caught a bit caught up uh, with work for those next couple weeks so I didn't really get around to it until December um, and then when I went to go put it on for the first time I fell asleep oh <laughs> <laughs> I was so scared to say that. I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to upset you guys. But then, don't worry, because I put it on. Are actually, this is why you guys aren't in the same room. So Manny didn't jump over the desk and attack you. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, because I put it on a second time. And I fell asleep again. <laughs> but but <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. November and December... I had family in town, work was busy, give me a break, okay? It's not because I didn't enjoy the film. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be on here if I hated it, but it was just because I was so tired, but I just thought it was interesting uh, because I actually do really enjoy this film, and I just thought it was funny that I managed to fall asleep to it twice in a row. Uh, but then eventually I managed uh, to watch it um, for the first time, and I was uh, totally blown away Uh I think that this is a movie that personally didn't get me hooked in right away. Uh, the first half an hour um, or maybe even 45 minutes or so. Um, I don't, I don't know why it, it just uh, uh, maybe, maybe because it's overshadowed by the back half um, of this film. Uh, but I wasn't completely roped in um, until uh we find out, of course, uh, some of the twists that come in the end. Um, and then I was totally on board um, and fell in love with this film. Uh, I think that the cinematography uh, for certain scenes is fantastic. <laughs> I think there's certain scenes where it doesn't need to be as good as it is, um, like the library scene, for example. <sighs> uh, and <laughs> the same as the score, too. Like, the score just seems to be going off sometimes when it just doesn't seem like it needs to be but like the score is pumping throughout this movie and it just adds to it uh so so much um yeah uh seven i went into it completely blind um or as blind as possible and i'm really glad that i did um because this is one of those movies that you really have to see with no uh preconceived notion notions just have to dive right into it so yeah so wes uh when you said you fell asleep twice watching seven <laughs> Was this your first complete watch then? No, 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 no. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, I wanted to clarify. Right. You did watch it a third time, and then, I did. And then yeah, and then it. I recently watched it for uh, preparing to get onto the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I think I'm just gonna bail you out on at least one thing, uh, which is uh, I can see Manny uh, tense up a little bit at the notion that it didn't pull you in right away, and I think I can see where you're coming from on something like that. Uh, I think it's because for the first act, maybe even two acts of this movie, um, it does just kind of feel like a detective story. Like you you just, because of the genre tropes that exist in, in the detective genre, uh, you feel like you already kind of know where it's going. Uh, it's, I think for the first half of this movie, it is very good. And for the last third, when it starts to undercut, some of those tropes and when it starts to go against genre convention that's when it reveals itself to be a masterpiece in mm -hmm. my opinion um it has one of the best endings in film which we'll try not to spoil but uh it hasn't really had imitators in its style 
Um, you would think this would have transformed the detective genre, but in reality, it didn't, because how can you imitate a story like this that's so dark and bleak and upsetting and vile at points? It's just such a revolting story at a lot of points that I can see why it didn't have the cultural impact maybe it should have and why it, maybe it only has, what did you say, Manny, a 65 metascore? Mm-hmm. I, I can see why it does have that low of a score, but in reality, it it, it clearly just flew under the radar of uh, of some people because um, the movie is so incredibly intelligent. For me, uh, the the movie is just one big moral conversation. It is incredibly deep and philosophical. Uh, the character arcs move in opposite directions of one another. You have uh, Detective Somerset, who's the jaded old man on the brink of retirement, and you have the young gun Detective Mills, played by Bad Brad Pitt. And again, when you see those characters in the beginning, you're like, okay. I know how this story goes. One of them's the rough and tumble old guy. The other one just is a, a new idealist and they got to find ways to come to terms with one another. And you just think, okay, I've seen this movie before. And then it goes in a completely different direction from that. Uh, and I love the way it plays with your expectations because of those genre tropes. Mills goes from somebody who believes in order and justice to someone being disillusioned. Uh, Somerset goes from someone disillusioned with the system and with the apathy that he sees in the world, who goes to believe uh, at a certain point in the movie that the world actually is worth fighting for. So it's a really deep, provocative movie. Uh, Even though there's action scenes and twists and turns, there's still a couple of great conversations that just happen at a table between two people or three people. Uh, There's a lot to like in Seven, especially from a writing perspective um and i think that i think if i recall correctly this is one that i watched for manny for the first time as well i think uh when him and i were first becoming friends back in let's say 2017 ish 2017 let's say manny um i think this is also one that he said oh you gotta check out seven or it might have in my head it's one that i checked out anyway and then I came to Manny one day and was like, hey, have you ever heard of this movie called Seven? And he just freaked out in my head. That's how it went. But honestly, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, Seven is one that I have probably seen, let's say, four or five times now. And I'm not going to stop watching anytime soon. It's so good. <laughs> it's really, really yeah. good. Seven is an unbelievable film. <clears throat> <laughs> this movie is my, if I remember correctly, my 17th favorite film of all time? That feels 18, right. 18. Mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, upon rewatch, it might move up a couple spots, but as soon as I watch the other ones I have ranked above it, they might rank above it too. So this will... Oh, this movie is absolutely unbelievable. And this is the movie where I started to fall in love with David Fincher. And this is the one that kind of got him on my radar. And then it was his follow-up movie to this, the game where I was in, I was all in. And everything you guys say is right. The first, the first two acts, it is almost like a standard detective story. And I think partly because it's been so long since I've watched this for the first time. Now, when I watch it, I'm just anticipating that ending so it elevates the first two acts even more because you watch these two guys working towards what you know is coming. 
and it's so worth the wait. And they take the time to get into these characters and to develop their rapport and to really highlight and show you what these two guys think of the world and the way that they are living in this world. So everything just resonates even more when we get to that incredible last act. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's much more I can say without spoiling stuff, so I think we should probably just get into that. So spoilers for seven in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. Um, The opening credits. One of the best opening credits ever. Yep. I you know was... what makes, you know what elevates these, Manny? And I, I think I know what you're gonna say. I might have taken your thought, but I'm gonna say it. No. What makes it even better than it is, no Kevin Spacey listed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fact that Kevin Spacey is in this movie is hidden from the audience. Which of course this came out in ninety five, so it's not like people were just Googling the cast before anyway. You can't. It was actual. It was actually a secret. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that alone, but like I was actually thinking as I was watching the opening credits and how amazing they were. And David Fincher's opening credits for a lot of his movies are much better than everybody else's because the man is a genius. So I was trying to think of what movies have opening credits that would compete for best ever. And the ones that came to mind for me were Deadpool. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening credits to Panic Room are actually well done as well. And same with another Fincher film, uh, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Another opening credit sequence of a movie that I know Sam loves, Catch Me If You Can. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will forever have that song just do 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 the score for that movie is one of my all-time favorites. Yes. So that, that was just something I was thinking about earlier today. Like, the opening credits are superb. Uh, by the way, I'm just looking up. Mm. Uh, Googled real quick. Best best film opening credits. Uh, number one, James Bond. No. Uh, number two, Seven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, number three, Star Wars. The title crawl. That's not. Those aren't credits. That's a title crawl. That's not credits. Mm. I guess they're not opening credits. Yeah, you're right. No, they're not. Um, yeah, well, that's weird that it's listed. Uh, number. I can't remember how these go for some reason. Number eight, Memento. Oh, that's him uh, shaking the photo and having it oh, go away. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, yeah, that, that's that's about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, Star Wars. Nah. Star Wars doesn't count. Those aren't credits. Yeah, let's see what it has. I want to, I'm really curious what I say about that. I didn't want to click into the page because it kept giving me a pop-up ad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's really dumb. They're recognizing the the open or the opening crawl as a as a title sequence. Mm-hmm. The other thing I, a, uh... the other thing I want to touch on as well is something that Wes talked about. The score by Howard Shore is superb. Oh, Sue. Perp. I actually didn't I didn't really notice on how good it was until this rewatch, which is surprising because I've watched this movie well over 20 times. Mm-hmm. And it's 
it's just so it's so well used, especially in the moments that it needs to be used. The ones that highlight, like mm-hmm. the one that highlights it the most for me, is and I'm, we're jumping ahead a little bit, and but we'll get to it is um when they go and raid Victor's apartment. That was what I was gonna bring up. That was yeah. That's that's exactly where it stood out for me too. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we just go through the seven sins, and I have a couple. Mm-hmm other scenes thrown in there that I'd like to discuss. So we'll start with gluttony. Unless you guys wanted to talk about Mills and Somerset meeting at the beginning, I don't have much to say there. Uh, the, only, the only thing I really have to say about that is that I find it really interesting that they never mention what city they're in. Mm-hmm. It's never acknowledged that Morgan Freeman just keeps saying, so why'd you transfer here of all places? And my first few times watching this movie, I was trying to figure out where it was because I was... <laughs> my only thought was, boy, it sure rains a lot wherever here is. Mm-hmm. It rains an awful lot in this place, but uh, they never tell you. Nope. And uh, I just think that's kind of interesting. I guess it's to add to the whole like mythology of it, this kind of larger-than-life uh, serial uh, serial killing spree, mm-hmm. I guess, make it feel like it's in sort of a mythological town, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Gluttony. The... The gentleman that is killed, he, I, I don't know if you guys are, know that, but the actor that plays the gluttony victim, that's a, a real person. Hmm. And he had to wear like this scuba breathing thing so he could stick his face in that spaghetti and breathe. Oh, oh so he's just actually there chilling? Yes. In the scene? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They do, they do great makeup on him. Yes, they do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If that's the case, yeah. All the all the, his uh, his veins, which have like come to the surface, uh, and his big dead eyes. Um, yeah, I didn't. I mean, that that makes sense that he's he's just there the entire time. But wow. Yeah, he does a great he he does a great job of playing dead. Like to like he would have to be laying there, sitting there, all that time for hours on end. And you know what, Wes? Uh, even though I, I kind of came to your defense to say that the uh, the first act of this movie isn't as interesting as some of the other ones, I will say this movie did get did get me hooked with this. Mm-hmm. When I saw this first grisly murder, I was like, "What the fuck am I watching?" <laughs> this is- yeah. Oh no, I still I had that same reaction too. It 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 grossed me the fuck out. And Honestly. Sorry, you can go ahead. I was just going to say, of the seven murders, this is maybe like third from the top of ways that I would want to die. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, you what go ahead. grossed me out the most, though, wasn't particularly in this scene. It was um, in the next. It was in the next scene when they're with the what's the name of the the police guys that check out the check out the bodies. The, they were in the autopsy Cor- corner uh, room. Oh, yeah, I, I, I have a great note on the autopsy scene. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, what grossed me out the most was when he pulled out the stomach and was like, this is the size of the stomach. My mouth just dropped <laughs> instantly. I was like, oh, that is one of the grossest things I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the autopsy scene. The body on the gur- uh, the gurney or whatever or whatever it is it's not a gurney but the op- the operating table yeah sure okay the autopsy table so that's not the actor that's a 
that's a porcelain mm. um, dummy. Now, humble brag again for my my new TV, but everything is crystal clear. And I've listened to the director's commentary numerous times on this. And in fact, there are four commentary tracks for Seven. And I listened to three of them. And the one, this is a, a fucking awesome story that Fincher tells. And it's very apparent when you watch this movie in high definition. And if you're looking for it, which this time I was, which will be embarrassing as I'm about to reveal what the story is. Because of the great work that the actor did in the previous scene, to thank him for the hard work of laying there in spaghetti sauce and doing a great dad, they gave him a massive cock. (laughs) (laughs) That's as good a gift as any, I think. And they've like like I said, I've watched this movie numerous times, and I've watched it on Blu-ray on pretty decent TVs. And there's a a couple times when they're panning, you can see he's got a a pretty big piece. This time, it is crystal clear that they gave him a monster cock. It it is big and (laughs) thick, and they did this man a great service. Yeah. So yeah. I just, Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. Come for the movie talk. Stay for the horse cock. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's – but, yeah, them showing the stomach, I agree, Wes. Very disgusting. I mm. love – I love – I love – this This all – I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this all predates the, mo- the, the show CSI. So this was yeah. all revolutionary mm-hmm. for me at the time, seeing this kind of breakdown and that kind of stuff. So they're breaking it down. This is where they talk it out, and they realize that he died because he was so full and then kicked. And then also they, they, they figure out that he had a gun pressed against his head the whole time. So now they realize it's a murder. And uh, the, uh, the coroner, by the way, uh, I don't know if you know him from anywhere. I know him as, I think the character's name is Freddy from House of Cards. Yes, except yeah. he's much younger. <laughs> yeah, a lot younger. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 amusing to kind of see him so young because he plays not like an old like he plays an older character in House of Cards. Yeah, he he plays like a like, yeah like an like an old dude I mm-hmm. would say yeah old business owner. The uh, let's go. Well, actually, one other before I I guess before we get into uh. Is it before? Is it before? No, it's not. So the greed, the greed killing. I th- I, my notes are a little out of order here. Uh, the greed killing. This one always. This one always. <laughs> one of the many, many killings. One of the killings in here that I always wondered, like, like what would I have done? Would I've, would I've cut off my own love handles as well to try and survive this? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but. As, as savage as this one is, it's kind of like the second nicest killing. <laughs> second, because <laughs> the other like, I like I don't know like I I, I think uh, Pride one. If I had to pick one, I I guess I'd want Pride. Well, I mean Brad Ooh. Pitt. Brad Pitt doesn't even die. 
Yeah, Raph, fair. Yeah. But so, I guess he does have his girlfriend decapitated. So. I, I guess Envy? Envy, you just get a bullet to the head? Yes. Yeah. Quick yeah. and easy. Yeah. Kevin Spade, he, he, John Doe gave himself the best death. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, so the Greek killing, I don't have too much to discuss about the Greek killing itself unless you guys want to touch on anything. No, I don't think so. I I honestly, I it was this one and the pride sin that I, I had a tough time catching at first exactly okay. what it was. But then on my second time uh, rewatching, uh, uh, I understood it. But um, yeah, I I must have missed something or uh, a line on my first watch through. But it, I didn't exactly see um, how it was. Uh, um, correlated with the greed sin but i think since i've rewatched it now i understand a bit more yeah i think it's it's pretty breezed past this one and uh and pride they're both not on screen for very long um i i think it gluttony uh services well enough as a setup for what we're going into and greed i guess mm-hmm. is further solidifying our themes further solidifying that we're dealing with someone who's killing in pretty gruesome manners um it doesn't really serve much of a purpose other than it's one of the seven deadly sins not entirely true Mm. because greed is where we find victor's fingerprints behind the painting true yeah Mm -hmm. right so it sets up other things but before we get there there's a couple things um as well mills is given the greed case mine uh wes have you seen the movie zodiac yes yes i have okay this is a minor thing that, I, again, when you watch these movies for the 20-plus time and you're getting ready for a podcast, you're starting to look for things to discuss or being a little bit more critical. Mills is sitting in his car trying to read the books that Somerset has recommended, the library <clears throat> scene you mentioned, which I'll circle back to in a moment because I didn't mean to skip over it. But he's reading the cliff he's so he's trying to read the books and he's getting frustrated and then the officer comes up and gives him those cliff notes for the books. Mm-hmm. And so he's about to drive away and he throws the cliff notes on the seat next to him. Exact same shot occurs in the Zodiac when Jake Gyllenhaal's driving and trying to draw at the same time. And the people honk at him, he throws the drawings in the exact uh, same way. So it was exact- did David Fincher just do a little homage to himself? I guess so, or it's a shot he yeah. likes, but it's literally the same shot. Hmm. And I huh. pi- I picked it out. Um, I, every every director kind of has a couple shots like the. Oh like that, yeah, though, right? like Tarantino has the trunk shot that's in every movie. Yeah, or Zack Snyder the famous like zoom in handheld shaking shot in all of the DC movies. The V one though has got to be Michael Bay the the from the ground three hundred sixty degree hero shot. Uh yeah, Spielberg likes to shine flashlights through fog. He does that a lot. Yep, there's a great moment in uh, in uh, Bridge of Spies that I just recently watched where Tom Hanks is standing on a street corner in the rain trying to hail a cab, and the bar behind him is just like it's like there's a fucking lighthouse in there. <laughs> it's just like huge beam of light. It's hilarious. Yeah, there's lots of. Directors all have their own things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an important scene following the greed death is Somerset going to the mills for dinner. And this really sets up the mills family. I have a question for you, and you can check it out if you want. Is this Gwyneth Paltrow's best performance? 
I honestly, I don't really know her much for, other than the MCU. Like, I know her as Pepper Potts, and I know her from this film. I don't know, I don't really have anything else to go off of. Well, she's clearly phoning it in in Endgame. She's, like, the only one who is. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably not it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would suppose that it probably is. I'm trying to scroll to her uh, her filmography real quick here. Um, Manny, what else do you have in contention? Well, if you want serious contention, then she would have Shakespeare in Love, which she won the Oscar for. So, uh, but no. <laughs> so then you would have something like uh, Great Expectations or Hard Eight. Talented Mr. Ripley. Actually, you know what? Talented Mr. Ripley, she's really good in. Mm. Yeah. I saw Royal Tenenbaums and don't really remember her performance in it. I personally think that this is her best performance because I think she's fucking outstanding in this, especially in the scene at the diner that she has with mm-hmm. Somerset, which I'll get to in a minute. So mm-hmm. one of the things I love, again, little character moments like Sam and I say all the time, it's the little things that matter. It's just after the dinner when Somerset and Mills are looking over the pictures of the greed killing. Somerset and Morgan Freeman, obviously a fucking genius. He has this little moment where I think Pitt has a revelation and he's trying. No, they're trying to figure things out. And the subway, the train drives by again, shaking the house. And Somerset lifts up his glass, which he asked for wine, but it's not a wine glass. It's a fucking tumbler. And he looks at it. He's like, what the fuck? This little tiny moment, I always notice. Yeah. I'm like, it's brilliant. Well, yeah. can I can I add something to that? Yeah, actually, because I had noticed that um, as well, and I honestly think that that just that little moment, uh, like or that little scene right there, shows so much characterization for the both of them. Yes. Uh, the quote where it's uh, Somerset, he says. The trick is to find one item, one detail, and focus on it until it's an exhausted possibility. And Mills says, I'm just going to get another beer. Somerset, wine, please. (laughs) And I just think that it it totally uh, sets out how more dedicated uh, Somerset is to his job and Mm -hmm. how a bit more like childish and immature Mills is. Uh, And it just even uh, goes on to... Uh, develop that a bit more when he brings back the wine glass because yes. uh, I feel like wine could be like almost like a symbol for class and maturity mm-hmm. in a way and the fact that Mills doesn't know what type of glass wine goes in it just builds that character even more I agree wholeheartedly that's that's definitely I think what they're what they're going for in the scene I also like that Somerset doesn't notice right away it takes it takes until the train <laughs> yes and everything because he's like, so yeah. transfixed on the work exactly yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah very like like we say it's the, it's the small things that matter with the exception of the massive penis of gluttony yes <laughs> uh okay let's circle back to something that Wes actually mentioned that we skipped over uh, it's Somerset going to the library a beautifully oh. shot scene, beautifully acted and beautifully scored. Even though technically it's not the score of the film because I think it's an actual musical mm-hmm. piece from somebody else. I had a feeling that it might have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't I, I will look it up. Um but why don't you tell us your thoughts on that scene, Wes? Yeah, it it honestly felt like it was 
just like it was so beautifully shot and the music was so beautiful and it just almost felt like it didn't have to be for that scene uh for for him going through the library but that was when it was kind of at that point where i realized i was like what the fuck am i watching like what is this movie and it just it it just showed off so much of uh i guess david fincher's talent uh talent or maybe his cin- cinematographer um uh i don't know uh, too much about the relationship between the director and the the cinematographer myself but uh uh yeah i just i just thought that the scene uh shows showed off a lot of the filmmaking chops uh that that go along with mm-hmm. this movie i think it's cinematographer Dante is Dante. darius darius Konji. darius Konji. Con- yep okay yeah. And I don't see too much else that he's done. He actually, coincidentally enough, did Uncut Gems. Uh, and he did mm. uh, a movie that I like but have mixed feelings about called Okja, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Still haven't seen it. Uh, and I think that's about it. Yeah, I don't see really anything else that he's been the cinematographer for. Lost City of Z. Mm. Yeah, not a ton else. Awesome. Okay. Next up, we have Sloth. And just before we get to Sloth, though, hold on. They discover the one thing they're looking for, and they go back to the lawyer's apartment where they discover the fingerprints. Wes, I would love to know your thoughts when you saw that for the first time. When I saw... Help me. So you're... Uh... Yeah, and that was uh out of John Doe's fingerprints, prints, right? Well, no, that, they they off, they think it they think it is. I that went over my head a little bit. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, I I I kind of under like I I got the idea that okay maybe John Doe like I'm assuming he's trying to leave them a message of some sort. I just didn't really totally capture exactly what that scene was trying to tell. Mm-hmm. If you yeah, guys would. The information is given to you backwards. I think that's probably where the confusion lies is because you see all these fingerprints on the wall that say, help me. Mm-hmm. And then you see Sloth and he has his uh, he has his hand cut off. And then when you're in John Doe's apartment later, you see this hand in a jar. So you can kind of put the pieces together after the fact that he that he had severed Victor's hand, the, the, the Sloth, uh, the Sloth guy. Uh, uh-huh. his hand and used it to put those prints on the wall. Oh, that see, okay. That totally went over my head. Yeah. Thank you, you for explaining yeah. that. If you see it when you when you watch it again next time, mm-hmm. and they and we'll get to sloth here. When they pull it off, they show that he is missing a hand. And when they raid John Doe's apartment, you can see the hand in a glass jar. And I think it's Morgan oh. Freeman's the one that finds it. And he goes. He just silently whispers, "Victor." Yeah, yeah. Uh, the prints that they find uh, at at the lawyer's place uh, is that of Victor, who is the sloth guy. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that'll have to be something I'll, I'll catch for next time. Yeah. Sam, what were your thoughts the first time you saw the fingerprint scene? I think I was I think I was playing catch up like Wes. Honestly, it's, okay. uh, at this point in the movie, it feels pretty information dense. But with each and every watch, uh, the inner workings of John Doe become more and more terrifying. Uh, but yeah, when I re- when I watched it the second time, I think that was when I fully grasped like, oh, so this isn't even John Doe. This is 
this is uh, the hand of this is the hand of Victor because obviously we know now, having all watched it several times, that mm -hmm. John Dota doesn't have fingerprints. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> something yeah. that you find out later. But uh, yeah, this is a. I will say there are certain aspects of the John Doe killings that still baffle me in some regards. This is this is one that feels a little cute, <laughs> like like a little too like there are other things he could have done. Maybe it's a little um, unnecessary, I guess. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong just because he needs to point them towards somewhere. The one that actually I, I could maybe use some clarification on Manny is the chips. Uh, like the, the the chips from the ground uh in gluttony's apartment yes like the sort of paint chips or wood chips or whatever they are the, well they're they're slivers from the floor from the linoleum yeah that feels like a stretch for mills or for us for somerset to find they find these two little plastic shards well in mo this more than two but no big deal that that's, okay. it, it, <laughs> they, find, they find these in his stomach and he like matches them up to the floor and then like like i feel like john doe could have just written gluttony anywhere in the apartment and it would have been would have had the same effect right or am i am i missing something here not i don't really think you're missing much but i i think john doe john doe's putting everything in in motion for everything to work out now the only thing i'm conf the the only thing that i don't want to say i'm confused by but john doe couldn't have planned for him and a detective to be wrath and envy that that's an impossible thing to plan until things start playing out mm -hmm. so i'm always wondering what was his backup plan for those two sins so would I, i'm sure he always had the plan to be envious of somebody to have that person that whoever he's envious of to be his wrath but there's no way that he could have meticulous because he has no way to knowing that uh, that what detective is going to be assigned to his case to one of his killings, and and for that detective to be an emotional hothead like Mills is, so he yeah. couldn't plan that. Now to flip back to to the to the gluttony thing, I think the reason that the gluttony thing isn't put on is if if this is just seen as a regular torture murder of some fat guy it's not going to raise as many red flags as something that has a meaning to it mm -hmm. and that's why in the scene after the gluttony murder somerset tells the captain played by arlie ermy from full metal jacket mm -hmm. he tells him somebody doesn't go to this much trouble unless the act itself has meaning and the captain's like don't get your fucking big brain in a knot here. Somebody just had a problem with a fat guy and killed him. But Morgan Freeman, he's, Somerset's got that feeling that this killing, nobody goes to this much trouble to kill a guy like this. It doesn't make any sense unless the act has meaning. So if the act had meaning and was publicly known, but like he'd written gluttony in Greece on the kitchen table, it would have immediately set up more... The, the, in my opinion the police would have been more prepared for these other killings that, that were now in motion by John Doe. All right. Sure. Or okay, but I still think just even the act of Morgan Freeman being able to find where those slivers came from mm -hmm. all, just feels, feels like a stretch. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, but um, uh, that wasn't that wasn't the question you asked me. 
and initially. Yeah, I know, I know it wasn't. Okay. I know it wasn't. I'm just saying that's that still doesn't quite sit right with me for that reason. Um, I do want to touch on Arlie Ermi because he has a great bit part and he has this one little part where he just answers the phone and says, hang on, this ain't even my desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Oh my God, I cackle every time. Wes, uh, have you? I, I can't imagine you have seen Full Metal Jacket, right? I cannot say that I have. Okay. Uh, Whiplash has been compared to it in a lot of ways. In oh. particular, J.K. Simmons' character. Um, it, mm-hmm. Manny has a look on his face. J.K. Simmons' performance in Whiplash has been compared uh, to Arlie Ermey's performance in Full Metal Jacket in the sense that um, Full Metal Jacket's a war movie and the first half takes place uh, at a boot camp. And this actor, Arlie Ermey, plays uh... the I, I I know the character. I know yeah. the drill sergeant character. He's a yeah. yeah. He's pretty iconic. Yeah. So he's just he's berating all of the all of the new recruits. So mm-hmm. I I know that when Whiplash got released, uh, J.K. Simmons' performance drew comparisons to that. I personally, even though I like Full Metal Jacket, I like the J.K. Simmons' performance better. Um, but yeah, interesting. That's, stylistically, they're sort of similar. Wow, I never mm-hmm. I never saw that comparison, but that is one hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 100%. Okay, now we're at Sloth. The, again, small character moments. I love that uh, they fall asleep on the couch together. Yeah. <laughs> small moments again. Uh, Brad Pitt trying to fall asleep and moves the uh, the cigarette ashtray away from his face. And then the next morning wakes up all cuddled up next to Somerset. Adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then here we go. We're we get to see uh, John C. McGinley as the SWAT leader. Fucking love him. He is awesome. The other actors playing the SWAT team were actual SWAT members. They weren't actors. They were actually SWAT team members that were helping out with the film. Hmm. So the only actors in the in the scene were. John C. McGinley and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. The rest were actual SWAT team members. The score here, like uh, Wes and I mentioned before, is so good. It continues to amp things up as the SWAT prepares to enter and then continues to amp up until we uncover Victor. I love the, uh, the fragrance trees hanging in the, in the apartment. Uh, Another small detail that's never mentioned. Yep, I have a nice uh, behind-the-scenes anecdote uh, with that as well that I listen, that I found out while listening to the commentaries. Okay. Uh, the producers reached out to the air fresh the car tree air freshener company and said, "Hey, would you like to help us out with this movie by you know using your product and will it will be placed prominently?" They sent them three thousand <laughs> trees. 3,000 of those trees, and they hung up all of them. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm sure they were honored the way in which they were used. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder what it smelt like in that room. Like, that's the real question. (laughs) Um, Also, I don't don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the uh, Victor, uh, that's a real person. On that bed, it's yeah, like it's a, it's a real actor who is actually an amputee, right? Yes. Oh, 
Okay. Uh, he weighed ninety eight pounds. And under heavy makeup, I take it. Yeah. Also, the SWAT team members and John C. McGinley did not know it was a real person, and so their reaction is real when he coughs. I, I think I have heard that before, uh, probably from you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like watching for that authentic reaction. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, that scared the shit out of me when I watched it for the first time. Yes, right? I, I was so taken aback by that the first time I watched it. Wes, did you have a, a, a gut-turning reaction too? Yeah, it was eerie as fuck, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've felt the exact same way. Ugh. Uh, the actor's name is Michael Reed McKay. Michael Reed McKay. Yeah. Wow. We have some impressive uh, uh, victim actors in this movie. First with the gluttony guy, and now with the with the sloth man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the jump scare is great. <laughs> it's after sloth. Yeah, it's after Sloth that we get uh, the next scene, uh, one of uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and that's the Somerset and Tracy lunch meeting. Mm-hmm. I'll throw this out there again. Is this Paltrow's best scene ever? Maybe. It, it could it, be. I mean, if we consider this to be among her best performances, probably top two mm-hmm. or top three. Um, and this is her best scene in this movie, so case case could yeah. certainly be made. I think she's absolutely I, spectacular in this scene. Go ahead, Wes. I, I I only have like Iron Man three and Avengers Endgame to compare it to. So Ouch. this compared to that, it's <laughs> you know it's not really in the same ballpark. But yeah, she uh, I'm gonna be completely honest. She wasn't. The, uh, she didn't stand out all that much to me. I didn't think she was bad by any stretch of the means at all, but uh, personally, I didn't uh, find her performance um, too, too riveting. I, I th- know well, you, you, I, might, you might have some different thoughts about I, that. I, I didn't find her performance riveting. I just, I'm, I'm not a big mm-hmm. Paltrow fan, and so when she's actually mm-hmm. good, it stands out for me, but when you put it in context of this film, out of the four leads, she's easily number four. Like, Pitt, yeah, Morgan, yeah. and Spacey are fucking at the top of their game in this film, and I, th- I think it's again. I think it's just. I- I'm gonna, I'm gonna toot the horn of my boy, but Fincher knows how to pull these performances out of people. It's pretty rare. Like I can't think of any of the Fincher movies that we watched where there's a bad performance in them. He's pulling these no. really good performances out of other people, and even people that you might not even truly realize are actually quite good. Yeah, I see. I see that a lot in David Fincher movies. That the prime example I would say is Jesse Eisenberg. Like <laughs> I think he is just his character goes beyond what <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg's talent is capable of. Like I don't know how David Fincher was able to to pull a character uh, out of well, let alone out of the three main uh, main leads in in that movie. But Jesse Eisenberg, especially that that's a huge highlight for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, oh, go ahead, Sam. Nope. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you think back to 2010, and Manny is probably the only one who watched Social Network when it was actually released. Uh, but I can only imagine in 2010, 
seeing a movie with Justin Timberlake, Jesse Eisenberg, and Andrew Garfield as the leads, and then realizing that the three of them just have amazing acting performances together. I, I can only imagine the shock that must have been, especially to people who maybe weren't as well acquainted with Fincher and what he's capable of. I can only imagine the surprise that must have been. Well, the other thing at the time, like I knew Eisenberg, I only knew Eisenberg from this smaller film that he was in. I'm just quickly looking up the, the title of it. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, oh wow, Zombieland came out before Social Network. Yeah, 2009 versus 2010. Okay, so I I knew him from that. I'm trying to find it. Oh, it's called Roger Dodger in 2002. Uh, a a small independent movie that I actually enjoyed. That he starred in with Campbell Scott. It was an entertaining movie, and that was my first experience with. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. I barely remember him in The Village, and I can't believe we're going off a Jesse Eisenberg thing. But to piggyback on your point, Wes, David Fincher, for me, it wasn't a like Eisenberg's actually pretty good in Roger Dodger. Getting this kind of performance out of him from the social network was was great. What I was impressed with was what he got out of Justin Timberlake. Andrew Garfield <clears throat> was an unknown to me at the social network, but seeing what Garfield has done since like his Oscar nominated performance in Hacksaw Ridge. I think Andrew Garfield is a good actor. I think we just caught him early on with a social network, but Fincher being able to get what he got out of Eisenberg and Justin Timberlake is what I find very impressive. Yeah. And so, yeah, with, with, with Paltrow, this scene is in my opinion, it's outstanding. It's her reactions to uh, Freeman's monologue, especially as he talks about what happened to him when he eventually convinces his former partner to have the abortion. And his last line, when he's talking, they have the camera on Paltrow giving her reaction to what he says, and I think it's spectacular. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just spent this time looking up uh, if I was looking up stuff to defend Justin Timberlake uh, <laughs> because I was trying to remember what movie it is that I like him in that isn't The Social Network, and it's Inside Lewin Davis. Oh yeah, well he's got one scene, two scenes. No, he's yeah. I would push it to three, but yeah, he's he's not in it a ton, but he's really funny in that movie. I don't think Justin Timberlake's bad, mm-hmm. but. He's it's easily social network is easily his best performance. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, no argument. Yeah, not. A- um. Next up, we have finding John Doe's apartment and the chase scene. Again, brilliant use of score. Brilliant use of cinematography, and there was actually something I didn't notice until, again, listening to the commentary, is, well, that's actually a lot I didn't notice until listening to the commentary, but one of the first things is, is when you rewatch it, look for it. When the camera is on pit, it's handheld and shaky. When the camera shows John Doe, it's a steady cam. Mm-hmm. Which is funny to me. 
they show the chaos and the chaotic nature of Pitt trying to catch this man. But anytime you're with John Doe, the camera is smooth and just follows him along. The yeah, other thing. Oh, go ahead. From a filmmaking perspective, I think. Sorry? Makes sense from a filmmaking perspective. And yeah. From the cinematography yeah. perspective. Uh, the way that Fincher builds the tension in this scene is fantastic the way that the score works perfectly here i love how they they continue to hide john doe's face so we still don't know who he is but this is also something i noticed lately is one of the reasons that the, i feel that the tension works in this film in this scene sorry is this is one of the few chase scenes like foot chase scenes where the cop is moving hesitantly through the apartments and other places. He's He doesn't know mm-hmm. where John Doe is. And so he's checking every corner. He's peeking around corners. He's not frantically running because there's so many other action movies and chase scenes where the hero is chasing after the bad guy with no fear of running into him. They mm-hmm. don't – he's – like he'll chase them through apartments and stuff like that, but they're never worried about maybe he stopped and hit around a corner. And when he runs past him, he's going to get shot in here. Pitt is checking everything at all times, like a real police officer would. And, and it, you know what? There's, there's something so, so authentic about this chasing that I've never been able to put my finger on. And I think that might be it. Actually. Uh, I've never quite been able to put my finger on exactly what it is. But like the moment he peeks over the windowsill yes. and John Doe's there waiting for him and he's like so hesitant to look over. And the second he pops up, John Doe pulls the trigger and nearly fucking pops him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it's, it's a great detail. Yeah. What One thing that uh, really stuck out to me about this scene um, for the foot, foot chase scene, uh, it felt like to me uh, the way that Fincher or maybe even the cinematographer built tension in the scene was it it felt like uh with each shot that you still couldn't see who john doe was it felt like he was getting closer and closer to the camera almost as if uh like it was easier to recognize his body shape every edit or cut that it would go back to john doe i sort of noticed until penultimately it uh finishes up with the close-up um of him almost uh killing off mills but then making the decision not to and keeping everything silhouetted the whole time so Mm -hmm. it doesn't reveal the identity i think just built the tension perfectly that's a really good catch actually so you're saying he's sort of uh nearer in frame the closer Mm -hmm. that mills gets to him i didn't catch that that's a really good that's a really good catch actually yeah like that Mm -hmm. the i don't know if you guys were aware of this uh but Brad Pitt actually seriously injured himself in this scene. Like for real. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did read I did a bit about that. that. Uh, so in the commentary, I, my understanding of, of what happened was actually different than what really happened. So Brad Pitt was the one doing his own stunts when he's running across the street, jumping mm-hmm. car to car. Cause he wanted to be a superhero. And so on the last take, they only had three takes to do that scene because they were losing the light. So the first two takes, he jumps from car to car, and on the last car, he jumps on it and then slides down the the window onto his feet. So he c- kind of uses the back window as a slide to, on his feet. And so on the last last take, he goes to jump. He miscalculated, and he put his ass through the windshield or through the back windshield 
So he's sticking. It's almost like he's sitting in a tube. So his feet are sticking out and his hands are sticking out and his ass <laughs> is sticking through the window. And so instead of waiting for help, he's like, well, I'll just get myself out. So when he went to push himself up, he didn't feel at the time, but he sliced open his hand and, ten- and went through the tendons down to the bone. <laughs> Continued to do the shot until it was done. And then that's when he realized he hurt himself. And he said he went over to Fincher and Fincher was like, he came over like a little boy had just had his hand in the cookie jar. Like, I think I'm, and he's like, I think I screwed up your shot. And then, (laughs) and then showed it to him. And so he's got like, he had to obviously go get stitches. He had to get everything fixed on. And it's, that's why like in the subsequent scene, when they go into John Doe's apartment, he's all casted up and all that. And so they had to hide the cast in scenes that occurred that they filmed after this, but occurred before this in the movie. And sometimes if you look for it, you can kind of see it. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a minor thing. Yeah. Uh, I've, never, I've never been able to catch that, but I, I did read a little bit that he had injured himself. Never heard the full story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anything else on the chase scene before we move on gentlemen? I don't think so. Uh well are we are we going to talk about when they go into his apartment after? That's where we're headed right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so John Doe's apartment, uh Mills's anger and breaking into it. Uh always kind of makes me laugh. Morgan Freeman so angry. Yeah. The way that uh Brad Pitt manages to play it off and manages to actually convince Somerset he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Up, you know, like, <laughs> he's like so remorseful and so sorry. And the second Somerset lets his guard down, boom, kicks in the door. Yeah. So funny. Uh, so Wes, what were your thoughts when Brad Pitt finds the photos of himself? Uh, it that is the main thing that. Uh, keeps me on my feet um, in a movie like this when you have a, such a good villain. I I just love it when he's always one step ahead of our protagonists. Um, and that's just on perfect display when the photos come out. Um, and uh, it just it just rocked me, honestly, especially <laughs> when he was like, that was the guy on the stairs. That was the photographer. I'm just like, oh, my God, this man is such a genius. It it just it, for me, it, it, what makes this movie is uh, the character Kevin Spacey's character constantly being one page ahead at all times. Yeah, it's the importance of a good villain. And this mm-hmm. is one of those moments like we know up to this point about Kevin Spacey that he's pretty fucked up and he, he can do some messed up stuff. And we know that he's at least a competent, smart individual. Mm-hmm. We know that about him. But when you see these pictures in the bathtub, that's the moment we're like, Oh, okay. He's, he's been playing this game for like, they, they don't even realize that they're playing the same game. The Somerset and Mills have been playing checkers and he's been playing chess this whole time. Like, mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is where, you know, he's a league above. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, then we get the phone call, and this is where the game starts going to another level, and he starts basically taunting them, and it just takes it up to the next level, which leads us into 
the lust killing. My my pick for the most horrendous death in the film. And you know what's so crazy about it? I mean, other than it, other than the obvious, <laughs> is that uh, we never see a lot of these gruesome deaths. And it became apparent to me here watching the lust scene because in my head the lust killing is the worst one Mm -hmm. because it is it is Mm -hmm. but we don't actually see anything we see nothing we don't don't, this is the least visually gruesome in the movie which is kind of counterintuitive you would think that would make it like the least intimidating but it's your imagination it's the way fincher suggests it yep and uh and hints at it and he shows you the device first and he like slowly builds up, and you you're in your head. You're like, oh no, that didn't actually happen, did it? And then the guy, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Leland the, the Orser. Character. Sorry. Leland Orser. Yeah, he he, uh, he has a, a fantastic scene. Just one scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Just a couple of lines. Uh, an excellent performance where he's having a fucking breakdown, and he goes, "I fucked her. I did. He had a gun in my mouth." And uh, you're just like, "Holy shit, David." Yeah. Pitt what do you do why are you making me imagine these things this is terrible i should also note that i did watch this movie with my roommate jordan who is a woman and she this is i i could feel her from across the room just cringing like Mm -hmm. cringing viscerally this is just it just the worst possible thing you could imagine to happen to a human being at least um at least in the running it's just think of all the ways you could possibly want to die this is down at the very bottom uh yeah and uh, main point i'm trying to make is that while it is horrific it's kind of funny in a weird way that you don't actually see anything you just think that you mm-hmm. yeah kind of like the psycho shower scene right yeah. you don't see anyone stabbed you just think you do mm-hmm. the just before the lust murder uh there is a scene now i tried to find this they they say, I, I can't remember where I found it, but in the lust, uh, right before the lust murder, uh, Somerset and Mills are in the sex shop, talking to, and that's I think that's where we see the picture of what uh, John Doe was getting made. Yes. Apparently, if you watch in the background, a guy with a limp stops outside the store and watches them. Apparently, it's supposed to be John Doe. Oh, now I oh, wa- wow. I watched it four times, and I can see what they're talking about, but it doesn't quite have the same shape as Kevin Spacey. And the other problem I have is what appears to be the person that they're talking about, he's kind of standing there when they make their way towards leaving. So I don't think it's John Doe, but I, re- I just wanted to point it out. So if you guys are ever watching again soon or you remember that, just keep an eye on the door outside. You will see a guy in. You will see a guy in a trench coat and a hat, and it's obscured because mm-hmm. it's the rain. Uh, he kind of he walks with a limp that they showed that he had when he was running. He had a limp. Uh, he kind of shuffles by and then stops and watches them for a little bit. Interesting. So hmm. keep an eye out. Okay, back to the murder itself. Leland Orser as the perpetrator of the murder. Not that he had much of a choice. Uh, I tried to think of other examples of this, but is this perhaps maybe the best one scene performance of all time? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But I can th- I can different. think of another one. I actually can think of another one from the same year, and I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, Sam. Sure, go. Uh, it's a movie I know you haven't seen, but it's J.T. Walsh in the movie Outbreak. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. Oh, is that the one that you said is very similar to, like, Contagion? It's it's the it's the action movie equivalent of Contagion. Got it. Contagion is it. much more realistic and scary. Outbreak is your action pandemic movie. That is, it's yeah. it's definitely fun to watch. Have you heard of Outbreak, Wes? I can. I don't believe. Oh, did you guys mention it on the podcast? We did I, I because actually. the the, yeah. the cast in Outbreak is unbelievable. Is, We've is mentioned it, every movie on the podcast. Is that the movie you guys are planning on doing? Uh, when there will be a vaccine? Yes. You guys said. Well, I guess now one of them. The, yeah. Yeah, we said we were going to do a Contagion Outbreak double feature when the uh, when the vaccines uh come to be i guess we should probably plan that soon then hey sam yeah probably <laughs> or celebrate the vaccine episode yeah maybe maybe when you and i are both vaccinated officially we, we do that done there you go okay right. we'll do that uh so yeah leland orser best one scene performance he is he is honestly truly outstanding out standing i had, i had heard all sorts <clears throat> of uh lore about his performance in this movie like, mm-hmm. i think he had dehydrated himself and sleep deprived himself or something like that yes to give like a more authentic performance of somebody who would not have slept since this happened obviously yes and he also hyperventilated before doing each scene before he right. doing that's, each that's take to give himself that panicked exp- that panicked feeling yeah wow and you know the funny thing is that he gives a great one scene performance in another movie that Manny and I both really like, uh, Saving Sa- Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Oh. Yeah. Wait, what? What, what role? Was uh, he in you remember? The, you remember the dog tag scene where they're just like they're sorting through all the different dog tags at the table. Mm-hmm. While they're doing that, Tom Hanks is taken to a helicopter helicopter crash site by the pilot. Airplane. Airplane crash site. Sorry, I thought in my head it's okay. a helicopter. Uh, that pilot is uh, ah. this, this actor. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> if yep. you can recall, <laughs> I can't say I recall the exact. Very, scene, but very I do specific. love that movie. Again, small moment and mm-hmm. a great, great little scene from him. Not mm-hmm. on the same level as, as this. This is yeah. top, top notch stuff. But yeah, also very good in his small role in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, question about the less killing and poor Leland Orser's character. Would he ever be able to have sex again? Uh, he wouldn't be able to do a lot of things ever again. I I don't think... I don't know. I, I don't think he'll be able to be a functioning human being in society. I don't think you ever get past something like that. I agree. I yeah, agree. That's just the most... Knowing that you have perpetrated the worst... Arguably the worst possible evil you can perpetrate on somebody. Yeah. Like, of the seven killings in this movie all of which are gruesome yes. this is the worst one this is far and, far and away the worst one and he he is forced he has to live with the knowledge that he made somebody go through that yes i don't I don't think you come back from that ever i agree i don't think you ever come back from that i agree Ugh, that's disgusting yeah <laughs> uh next up is is in my opinion the most downplayed murder of them all and that's the pride one yeah it's like they 
I, I would hesitate to even characterize it like this, but it's almost like they uh, they were just like, oh, shit, we only have six. <laughs> What's the last one again? Yeah. yeah this, this one is the least consequential for sure. Yeah, definitely. I would say this is probably, at least in my opinion, because I didn't exactly catch it right away, I would say that this uh, killing is like the least in-your-face one. Mm-hmm. Like you well, kind of... It was the most in-her-face. Oh, boo. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Question though about the pride killing, because mm-hmm. they he, they show that they he gave her a chance, he gave her one hand was glued the phone, and the other end was glued yeah. the pills, and he cut off her nose to spite her face, and he ga- it looks like he gave her a choice, take the pills and end your misery or phone for help. What would he have done if she chose to live? Would he have killed her anyways? Mm-hmm. No, or, well, I think that's that's sort Maybe of like would... the, the the whole point of his villain, I guess, is that it's almost almost like it wants to portray him as he knows exactly what is going to happen. Except, like when you think about it logically, it's not the most realistic. But I think that's clearly what the the film wants the audience to think is mm-hmm. that he has everything planned to the wire, to the T um, except obviously, you know, anything could happen. But I just think that if you're not thinking about it too logically, that's what the film wants. you. To well, I agree. Think. I was just throwing the question out there. I have an explanation. I think. Okay. Maybe John Doe is just a numbers guy. Maybe he's just a stats guy. Maybe he's just going around cutting off noses until somebody kills themselves. Fair enough. Maybe. Maybe he's just doing that. Law of averages? And... Law of averages. Yeah, law, law of big numbers. Yep. Somebody is bound to choose one of the options sooner or later. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I assume we don't have much else to say about pride? Nope, there's not a lot there. All right, so let's go to a very tense, well-done scene. And that's finally three-quarters of the way into the movie – we finally see John Doe, and that's John Doe's surrender scene where we find out mm-hmm. it's Kevin Spacey. So, Wes, did you know Kevin Spacey was in this film prior to watching it? No, I did not. So what, no, were, you, I did not. what were your thoughts when you see Mr. Spacey yell, Detective! Oh, I mean, he just plays the role so perfectly. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't say that I've seen too many uh, Kevin Spacey roles, but dare say after I watched this, I definitely went on a bit of a Kevin Spacey tangent. Good, that's for sure. Um, yeah, this. Uh, uh, I had a thought that I was going to go with for for Kevin Spacey. It just slipped my mind. Um. Yeah, but this this is the point in the movie where the dials just starts to turn up tenfold, uh, and it, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. This is it, it's definitely besides the ending. I would say the scene that dropped my jaw the most. Okay, yeah, this in my opinion, uh, all that stuff I said off the top about genre conventions and tropes. And this kind of being a standard detective movie, uh, 
that that I I'm not, I don't mean it as uh, negatively as that, but it mm-hmm. sort of uh, conforming to genre tropes up until a point. This is that point. <laughs> that, that's actually what, that's what I was gonna mention. It feels like the first time in the movie where it breaks through uh, yeah. everything that's set up in a usual detective film. You know, there's like, usually a point where the the protagonist is ah, aha, we got him. Let's let, let let's head there. We're we're gonna catch him this time, and then. You know, he does, he brings him downtown and that's the end of the movie usually, but not in this one. Yeah, we have, what, 30 minutes of runtime left? Mm-hmm. And our bad guy, whose face we have not even seen yet, just gives himself up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you are left there puzzling. You're like, what yeah. the hell could possibly happen? And I think this scene uh, is executed so well and is so effective because of all those moments of setup we talked about before for how smart John Doe is. The fact that we've already established that he's one step ahead of them at every turn mm-hmm. uh, makes this scene more tense and makes it work properly. Because if we don't know what a genius John Doe is at this point already, this just feels dumb and pointless. Like I feel like we puzzle over it less, in my opinion, if we don't know that John Doe's a if we don't know that he's a genius Agreed. this way we go oh what's he got up his sleeve there's definitely something he's got going on and it's up to our imagination to wonder about the crazy things he might be up to i, th- I think it's really well executed and it's a really smart choice and it goes against every screenwriting convention in the world <laughs> but it uh, it works really well yeah we get another Great one scene performance from Robert Schiff. That's who plays John Doe's lawyer mm-hmm. as he lays out what's about to happen. He, I love that he just so clearly does not want to be there. He <laughs> so clearly knows that he, this man is, is is a serial killer and a monster, and and he so clearly does not want to defend him. And the way he just delivers the line that I am. I am compelled by law to protect my client to the best of my ability. (laughs) It's just so apathetic. This leads into... This leads into probably, spoiler alert, what's going to be my favorite scene. And that's the car ride. I can't say enough about the car ride. Amazing writing, amazing acting, amazing editing. Everything about this scene showcases everything that's good about this movie. Now, there actually are some editing stuff that I didn't pick up on until, again, I listened to the commentary, and I was jaw-dropped by what they said. So I'm going to share them with you here. The first one is during their conversation between Mills and John Doe as they go over stuff, and Somerset mostly listens, but every once in a while chimes in. The camera angles show John Doe from the front seat through the cage. A lot of Mills' shots are from Somerset's POV, looking at him. A lot of them are also from John Doe's POV, looking back at Mills through the cage. At no point does the camera ever look through the cage at Somerset. It's always a side shot from Mills' point of POV showing that the scene is mostly between Mills and John Doe. And that these two are caged in with one another 
because the scene is about them, wrath and envy. That's one scene, one thing I hadn't picked up on. And they do this other amazing editing during one of John Doe's monologues where Mills and John Doe are arguing with one another and they talk about Mills talks about how they were just about to get him and there are three cuts. The first one is uh where I th- John Doe says uh someone's about to die. As soon as he says the word die, it cuts to a uh, a one a, a close up of John Doe. When he says the word trap, it cuts to Mills because he's about to be put in a trap. And when it cuts to the word evidence, it cuts to Somerset because he's the one that's found all the evidence and is the only reasonable person in the car. That's fucking wow. Cool. Yes. That's note. Yeah. It's funny. I, I have noticed aspects of uh, of them shooting through the cage mm-hmm. and it always struck me as a very interesting decision because usually you shoot through a cage or through bars or through blinds or whatever it is uh if you want to sort of subconsciously give a feeling that somebody's trapped mm-hmm. uh, but this it feels like very much the opposite is yes. happening here like kevin spacey's going on this monologue about how he's planned all of this and he's only here because he wants to be so it's always felt not wrong but just like an interesting decision that they choose to shoot him through the cage and uh that that makes a lot of sense actually that's a that's a, a really cool note yeah i love i loved it uh I, go ahead wes i love oh i i think this scene uh just really starts to rope in the morality of this movie uh, and the questions that it asks uh, when John Doe, uh, you know, goes on his little monologue about like innocent. How could you call any of these people innocent? And, and you know, and starts to explain that. And yes. I, I just love so much when films do that uh, with villains, when mm-hmm. they uh, like, obviously they don't make you side with the villain that's not the point but they they let you you they let you into their perspective a little bit um and and almost see the other side of the coin and i just think that this movie probably does that perfectly uh or probably does that uh the best i've seen besides maybe thanos as a villain but that's a tough tough one to call in my opinion as far as making you empathize with the villain? Empathize with the villain and see where they're coming from and see their side. Yeah, Thanos would probably be my first pick for that. I'm thinking of yeah. some of my favorite villains of all time, and most of the ones that come to mind are ones that you understand, but you don't... Mm, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, we were just talking about uh, Whiplash with Terrence Fletcher. He's a good example mm-hmm. of that sort of thing. Um, where you can really understand where he comes from. I think that's a, a really important aspect of creating a villain. Another one is um, to less of an extent because it's less of an agreeable position. Uh, yeah. But my favorite movie, uh, Hans Landa, 
in uh, in Inglorious Bastards, there's a number of important scenes where he's just explaining why he doesn't like Jewish people <laughs> uh, as a as a Nazi soldier. Uh, he's just explaining why he doesn't, and the things that he's saying, of course, are revolting. But as a viewer, you're like, okay, I understand this character's motivation now, and I can see mm-hmm. that this guy thinks he's the good guy. And I, mm-hmm. I understand where he's coming from now. So you're That's right. the key. That's the key, is the villain needs to think they're the good guy. Yeah. 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 That... Totally agree. So then we get to the end. Envy and wrath and, of course, the box. What's in the box? Yeah. <laughs> I think here we see some truly brilliant acting, especially from Brad Pitt. His reaction after the discovery of what's in the box, wah, wah. yeah, is superb. Holding the camera on him, watching him process and go through grief and understanding and acceptance and all of that, the, the whatever the stages of grief are, it's amazing to watch Pitt work here, and. Freeman and Spacey bouncing off one another. It's truly, truly amazing. Wes, what were you thinking as this scene was rolling out? Oh, well, to be honest, I I didn't uh, think that this film was one of one of Brad Pitt's uh, like best roles personally like i was i was like yeah okay he's he's doing a good job i don't think he's standing out uh in any particular way that's what that was my thoughts like throughout most of most of the movie Mm -hmm. um when i could think of some other roles like inglorious bastards or moneyball um or once upon a time in hollywood or even 12 monkeys one that i just watched uh until we reach this last scene which might be brad pitt's best scene uh i think there's definitely a case to be made there um yeah he just fucking blows it out of the park like holy shit uh brad pitt is is amazing and i had heard this line before i just had no idea that it came from this movie like (laughs) not one inkling that it came from seven but i had heard What's in the box? Of course, no <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was an internet meme for a little bit. Yeah, but I was like, oh, that's where that's from. Like as soon as I heard it, it was a it was a good payoff. <laughs> did you, you know did you see that coming, Wes? As like, soon as as soon as Morgan Freeman opened it, as soon as he as he as he cut it open and said, There's blood. Then that's as soon as I got it. But I didn't think it was leading to that point. Not right. at all. Um, but as soon as as soon as it hit that that point, I I think I think I got it. Awesome. A part of me wishes he would have said, "There's goop" instead. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Brad Pitt's performance in this last scene is, of course, spectacular. Um, it's very over the top, as it should be, because this is just the most grief he could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's a little bit in the car ride previously that i mean there's there's foreshadowing all over that car ride scene there's there's tons of little moments that foreshadow the uh the events of this scene which uh, we've talked about but one of the things that i kind of caught a little bit more on this rewatch 
is the moment in the car where Kevin Spacey is asked, uh, Somerset says, well, you've arrived at a contradiction. Uh, if you're chosen by God, uh, but you're but you're getting so much enjoyment out of these killings. That's not really that doesn't really tie in well with you being a martyr, right? Mm-hmm. And he looks at Mills and says, "I doubt I enjoy it any more than Mill Detective Mills would enjoy a minute in, a minute alone in a room with me with no windows." Basically, alluding to the fact that he knows Mills is capable of flying off the handle and knows that he hates him. And then, of course, when we get here, Kevin Spacey is just twisting the knife. He just wants to get inside Mill's head as much as possible. Yep. And he even, oh, that little maniacal grin he gives when he says she begged for the life of the child inside her. And then he realizes that Mills didn't know. Well, and he, he, just, he gets, he gets oh, slapped. He gets slapped. He gets backhanded by Somerset. And yep. Mills stops dead in his tracks. Yeah. And then and he is just gleeful he is giddy that he has found this button to push he is you didn't know (laughs) that line delivery is perfect so creepy i literally have chills on the back of my neck right now like it's fucking disgusting from (laughs) kevin spacey uh but yeah so 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 good from everybody in this scene and uh, one other moment in this last scene i want to draw attention to since i've already talked about brad pitt uh and we've talked about kevin spacey as well Morgan Freeman, when he opens the box and uh, says there's blood and then gets on the radio and says, uh, I can't remember the full line, but he finishes it with John Doe has the upper hand. Yes. That, mm-hmm. that panic in his voice where he, he knows instantly he's like, we are fucked. And we, the audience, even though we may have guessed it like Wes, we still don't know what's in the box. So this is, this is David Fincher dangling the carrot. This is him. Say, this is him saying, "Hey, I've got the answer for you right here. This is the big conclusion <laughs> that you want. Obviously, it's big because Morgan Freeman is giving this great performance and reacting big to it. What do you think it is?" And it's just like building that tension and building and building and building. And it's uh, yeah. The, oh, there's so much to love about this final scene: the building of the tension, the performances all around, the writing, the thematic elements that it ties in at the end. Just uh, it, it's literally one of the greatest endings in the history of film i wholeheartedly believe that yes uh did you guys see i i've only noticed it recently but did you guys see that right before brad pitt shoots him there's one or two frames of gwyneth paltrow yep what you saw it Wes? ptsd yeah oh i i see what you're saying okay yeah yeah i i did notice that you you noticed you noticed the flash of paltrow right before he shoots john doe Yes. Beauty. Okay. Uh, I thought you meant like she was standing there with them or something. I was no, like, what the fuck? No. No. <laughs> no. They flash her for about two frames. Yes, I did notice mm-hmm. that. Okay. Uh, that's the movie. We did it. We made it. We made it. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you ready for a bunch of trivia? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm um, I was born ready, my friend. All right. I mean, we probably touched on a decent amount of it through conversation. We did, yeah. Uh, so at the time, David Fincher had not read a script for a year and a half since after the frustrating experience of making Alien 3 for 20th Century Fox. He said, quote, I thought I'd rather die of colon cancer than do another movie, end quote. <laughs> However, producer Arnold Coppelson had a very low opinion of the executives at Fox at the time and remembered how actress Sigourney Weaver had defended the young director in the media. 
He pitched the concept of the movie to Fincher, who eventually agreed to direct the film because he was drawn to the script, which he found to be a, quote, connect the dots movie that delivers about inhumanity. It's psychologically violent. It implies so much, not about why you did, but how you did it, end quote. He found it more a meditation on evil than a police procedural. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. That's uh, obviously he has a, a fantastic understanding of it, being the director and all. But mm-hmm. it, it also occurred to me that he likely has a pretty deep fascination with serial killers between this and Zodiac. And I, even My... though I haven't seen Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, isn't it also, or is that about uh, no is that about a serial killer as well? Yeah. All right, yeah. And and mine hunters. Uh, what about and, yeah, Gone? Well. Is Gone Girl? Gone Girl's not a serial killer. No. No. Okay. No. Hmm. Uh, the producers intended that Kevin Spacey should receive top billing at the start of the movie, but he insisted that his name not appear in the opening credits, so as to surprise the audience with the identity of the killer. To so com- it was Kevin Spacey's idea. Yes. To compensate, he is listed twice in the closing credits, once before the credits start rolling and once in the rolling credits in order of appearance. Another advantage from Spacey's point of view, as he saw it, was that he was excluded from the film's marketing due to, during its release, meaning he didn't have to make any public appearances or do any interviews. Yeah, smart. Uh, before filming began, Kevin Spacey asked David Fincher if he should shave his head and told him, quote, if you do it, I'll do it, end quote. And so they were both bald for the rest of the film. Nice. Uh, I mentioned this before. When filming the sloth victim scene, the SWAT officers were not told that the victim was still alive. When the victim coughs and scares the SWAT officers, that reaction is real. Uh, New Line executives originally balked at the film's editing ending but brad pitt refused to make the film if the ending was changed uh i also forgot to mention that they actually fincher had a different uh idea for the ending he actually originally wanted the ending to be when brad pitt shoots kevin spacey it goes black and that's the end of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah but they uh, i know that uh the production company wanted wanted a, a happier ending or whatever that the one that brad pitt threatened to walk out on mm-hmm. uh so it wasn't the last little bit that somerset says that was introduced as like a compromise wasn't it yeah that's the version of it i've heard anyway yeah and uh there was another proposed ending where somerset actually is the one that shoots uh john doe to sacrifice himself to allow mills to continue with his life but mm-hmm. but Brad Pitt told Fincher and told Freeman, there's no way my character would allow you to kill John Doe instead of me. There's just no way. Yeah. I think they got it right. They absolutely did. Um, Brad Pitt bought his own ties for the movie. He wanted Mills to have poor fashion sense. Mission accomplished. Uh, all of John Doe's books were real books written for the film. They took two months to complete and cost $15,000. According to Morgan Freeman, two months is about the time it would take police to read all the books. Wow. Why Why do that, though? 
just it's little things like that that add to the realism and add to the ambiance of the film. You'll be surprised if you look into some of this kind of stuff that there a lot of stuff that you don't see on film are actually in the movie. Like as an example, like a lot of period movies, like from the like like the nineteen twenties and stuff. If they walk past a newsstand, all the magazines are era appropriate. And the newspaper, the newspapers mm-hmm. in there are from the dates that are supposed to be in the movie. You'll never see it on screen, but it's there in there to add to the realism to add, to allow the actors awesome. to get into character and to be more in the scene. It's it's That's incredibly awesome. common because <laughs> filmmakers and set designers and prop designers are fucking nerds. Yep. Uh, the filmmakers decided it should always be raining for two reasons. One. It added a sense of dread, and two, they never had to worry about bad weather. But then they would have to worry about good weather. Nope, because they were they were using uh, they were using a rain uh the oh, fuck what the fuck's it called? God damn it! Oh god, it's it, it's I, I basically assumed, I assumed it was real rain because of a couple of wide shots. Like there's there's a cup there's one shot in particular that I saw of Brad Pitt getting into a car. Uh, I think it's when he's coming from the library when he's tossing the uh, mm-hmm. the sort of spark spark notes on the on the back seat. Yep. Um, that scene where he gets into the car, it's a very wide open shot. So I just kind of assumed it was authentic rain. No, a lo- it was all God. It's all fake. It's there was one day of shooting of real rain. They just decided like, well, if we just make it rain all the time, then we don't ever have to worry about the weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If there there is a scene, there is somewhere where you can tell that it's only raining on them. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the reasons they did. Uh, here's the stuff on uh, Michael Reed McKay. Uh, David Fincher said that he wanted someone who was incredibly skinny, around ninety pounds, to play Victor. When Michael Reed McKay auditioned, he weighed ninety six pounds. Fincher gave him the part and jokingly told him to lose more weight. Much to his surprise, McKay had lost another six pounds when filming started. What the fuck? <laughs> That's savage. <laughs> um, David Fincher uh, said that he felt bad for the actor who had to wear all the hot, heavy, gluttony prosthetics. So to compensate, he made him well-endowed, which I told you about. But for the gluttony scene, seven crates of cockroaches were released on the set and poured on Bob Mack. That's the actor. Something had to be put in Mac's ears and nose to stop the cockroaches from crawling in, but it didn't stop them from crawling into his underwear. Ah. Uh, don't like that. Yep. Uh, Brad Pitt considers this to be one of the most perfect films he's ever made. And he is correct. I can see why. Mm-hmm. Uh, the diner that Somerset and Tracy meet at did you guys recognize it at all? I don't think so. It's featured prominently in one other film that I'm unsure if Wes has seen it, and I'm actually not sure if Sam has. But it's the diner where Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke meet in the beginning of Training Day. I haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. I have not seen it. Okay. And a friend of mine actually just recommended that to me like a week or two ago. Yep. And I know that you're you're a big Denzel guy, so. Yep. Uh and in fact they uh they meet in the same booth. Oh, crazy. <laughs> uh 
this is the third slowest film to reach $100 million at the box office. After Shakespeare in Love, which also featured Gwyneth Paltrow, and Unforgiven, which also featured Morgan Freeman. <laughs> at seven minutes before the end of the film, smack in the middle of the most dramatic scene of the entire movie, a subliminal picture is shown for a fraction of a second. The, the shot of Tracy. Freeze frame the movie at one hour and 52 minutes and 53 seconds to see that. Uh, in Orthodox Christianity, despair is considered the eighth deadly sin. This fits with Somerset's world-weary attitude to life. Hmm. It's funny. This movie, I don't think it would sound as cool if it was called Eight. No, it definitely would not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see there. Uh, I already talked about that. I already talked about that. Oh, at exactly seven minutes into the film, Mills gets a call that starts the seven murders. With exactly seven minutes, with it's seven minutes into the film, that's when Mills gets the call. Got it. Mm. And with exactly seven minutes left of the film, Somerset says to a distraught Mills, he will win regarding John Doe. There's seven minutes left at that point? Apparently, yeah. Wow, crazy. Uh, Mil- that doesn't sound right. Whatever. Maybe maybe including credits? Maybe. Uh, Mill's apartment number is 5A. The fifth deadly sin is wrath. Ooh. I was, I was wondering that because on this watch, I noticed that his apartment number was not seven. And I remember thinking, huh, that's kind of a missed opportunity. Yep. All right, I got some casting with us for you. Okay. Uh, Christina Applegate turned down the role of Tracy. We do love 90s Christina Applegate. We we most certainly do. (laughs) I don't think I'm too familiar with that actress. Uh, You ever seen Anchorman? Not surprising. Anchorman? Yeah. 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 Veronica Corningstone. Ah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> um, REM's Michael Stipe was briefly considered for the role of John Doe okay yeah wouldn't have had to worry about shaving his head mm-hmm. Val Kilmer turned down the role of John Doe thank god <laughs> Sylvester Stallone turned down the role of Mills they were going to cast Stallone oh. before Pitt I mean, I, I realize Brad Pitt was not the household name he is now, but wow. Yep. Uh, Kevin Costner and Nicolas Cage were briefly considered for the role of Mills. I know you would have loved uh, to see Costner in there. No. No. No? Not over Pitt, no. no. At the time, maybe. In retrospect, no. I think I think this is perfectly cast. If this movie was made by a worse director... I would have liked Nicolas Cage in there. Uh-huh. As Mills. If this was made by like like let's say just hypothetically Michael Bay takes over the I direction. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> An unfortunate direction to take this, I know, but in theory, if it had a director more like that, get Nicolas Cage in there because first of all, Nicolas Cage in The Rock, <laughs> a Michael Bay movie that we talked about is awesome. I think that would have been fun. All in right. a different, in an alternate universe. All right. Uh, Gail- like all right. 
Guillermo del Tormo turned down the chance to direct the film. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Had he, what had he done at this point? What was his claim to fame at this point? That's a good call. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I, I, am, I have to imagine he would have been relatively unknown, right? I think we're all probably Googling the same thing right now. We are. Let's see. Says he did one in 1993 called Kronos. Kronos. Yeah. So he would. That That's was the only thing he had done. Yep. Interesting. So, so that was his kind of like his big breakout. That's what got him on this on the scene. Hmm. Okay. Robert Duvall was offered the role of Somerset, but turned it down. Wow. I mean, he would have been good too. Obviously, I agree. Now I got uh, okay. Uh, Gene Hackman was offered the role of Somerset, but turned it down. Didn't we just talk about a movie with uh, where Gene Hackman was offered a role and turned it down? Yeah. What was it? I feel like it was one of our podcast movies. Would it have been Die Hard with a Vengeance? No. Oh, maybe? No, wasn't he offered the role of Deacon in Waterworld? Yes. Yes, he was. Good call. Um. Okay, I got a big one here. Are you ready? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Before Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt were cast, Al Pacino and Denzel Washington were early choices for Somerset and Mills. Wow. I know Ooh. we like the casting, and I still stand by that. Yeah. However, if you are going to recast the movie, that's about. Would... I mean, you would have to rewrite the character, or you would have to rewrite the characters, I guess. Why? Yeah, who no. would be Somerset and who would be Mills? Pacino, Pacino be Pacino, Pacino be Somerset because okay. he's older. And Denzel, okay. okay. Got to remember, like Denzel, this is this is ninety five. He's still young. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I mean, uh, you can't really say that those would be bad options. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Favorite quote. Oh I've boy. got I've got six. That's it? That's it, yep. <laughs> How many you got? Uh oh, you know what? I've only got five. I think I've tied my record. Hold on. You have eight? I have nine. Jesus. Yeah, this I love the dialogue in this movie. Okay. This is so good. Um I I have one. Two, three, four, five. Five. Okay. Uh, so my first one is too long. I'm not gonna read it, but it is John Doe talking about this about the sinners, and why they should die. So it's too long. I'm not gonna read it. Number two. What's in the box? Number three. Uh, again, Mills, same car ride. I've been trying to figure something in my head. Maybe you can help me out, yeah? When a person is insane, as you clearly are, do you know that you're insane? Maybe you're just sitting around reading guns and ammo, masturbating in your own feces. Do you just stop and go, wow, it is amazing how fucking crazy I really am. Yeah, do you guys do that? (laughs) Uh, Next up is David Mills again. You're no messiah. You're a movie of the week. You're a fucking t-shirt at best. 
And my last one is uh, Leland Orser, and I'm not going to try and do it the way he does. But he put that thing on me. He made me wear it. He told me to fuck her, and I did. I fucked her. He had a gun in my mouth. That fucking gun was in my throat. Fuck. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please help me. Help me. Please help me. That was pretty convincing. Jesus. I I would love to try and do it like Leland Orser, but I don't have it in me. Uh, it was done right the first time. Yeah. Uh, that's those are my those are my selections. Wes, what do you got for us? All right. So I also have the really long one as well. Yeah. Uh, where he's talking about the sinners. Um. Then I have what's in the bags. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> he goes a little Bostonian uh, in your version, Wes. Bags, of yeah. course. It has, it's not B O X. It's B A H X X X X. Um, the next one is the the trick is to find one de- one item, one detail, and focus on it until it's an exhausted possibility. Somerset. I'm just gonna get another beer, Mills. I just think, I just really like the the characterization that that sets up a bit there. Um, the next one, uh, John Doe wanting people to listen. You can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer, and then you'll notice you've got their full attention. Uh, and the final one is Ernest. Uh, is Detective Somerset, nice. and he says, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, "The world is a fine place and worth fighting for." I agree with the second part. That's nice. the final line of the film. Wicked. Samuel, what you got? Hey, well, there's a few. Like I, like I said, I have nine. And there's even a few, as you guys were listening to them off, I was like, fuck, that could have been on there too. Like, I don't even have the big long one from Kevin Spacey. That could definitely be on there. I have one interaction uh, during the gluttony scene. Uh, doctor saying to Morgan Freeman, he's dead. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Love that one. That came this close to making my list. Uh, I have number two, Arlie Ermey. This ain't even my desk. <laughs> um, when they're cornered by the photographer who they don't know is John Doe, I have Detective Mills saying, Detective Mills, M-I-L-L-S, fuck off. <laughs> um, number, what is this, four? Even if his brain were not mush, which it is, he chewed off his own tongue long ago. One of the doctors. Yes. Um... When they're talking about Sloth again, a paralyzed, or he's the perfect, or he's the landlord's dream, a, a paralyzed tenant with no tongue who pays the rent on time. Yep. Um, uh, I think in that same scene, we have uh, Detective Mills again. He's a nutbag. And just because he's got a library card doesn't make him Yoda. Yep. Love it. Uh, I have uh, Detective Somerset during one of the bar scenes, one of the conversations. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. It's easier to steal what you want than to earn it. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs. It takes effort and work. Uh, Number eight is that big, long Brad Pitt one uh, where he's trying to figure something in his head about how crazy Kevin Spacey is. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And number nine... You're no messiah. You're a movie of the week. You're a fucking t-shirt at best. Well done. Uh, okay. I My pick is easily John Doe's uh, monologue about the sinners. I fucking, uh, I, I fucking love yeah. that one. Yeah, I would have to go with the exact same pick here. 
Oh god, I've given myself too much to choose from. <laughs> um, I think I'm gonna go with um, I I think the one about Kevin Spacey being insane. Although I really am kicking myself for omitting for for all the great dialogue that I just included. I missed the Kevin Spacey one. That's that's a really good one. The one where he's masturbating in his own feces. Yeah, that's that's the one that I'm picking. Okay, I'm kicking myself for missing the only in a world this shitty. Could you call these people innocent and keep a straight face? Yes. Uh, all right, favorite scene? I have seven. That seems right. All right. Oh, right. That wasn't even on purpose. How perfect. Uh, okay, I've got Somerset at the library. Somerset goes to the mills for dinner. Raiding Victor's apartment. Somerset and Tracy's lunch. The John Doe foot chase scene. The car ride. And Envy and Wrath. Wes, what do you got? I have one, two, three, four, five as well, just like with my quotes. Uh, and I have the library scene too mm-hmm. uh, with Detective Somerset. I have the raid, which, yeah, which is sloth. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the Brad Pitt versus Kevin Spacey chase scene. Um, I have John Doe walking into the station for the first time. And I have the ending, the last two sins. Okay. Sam, what do you got for us, bud? Uh, I only have four, actually. Um, I definitely could have included a lot more, but I think I kept my barrier to entry a little bit higher than I did with the quotes. So uh, uh, the first is uh, going to Victor's apartment, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Sloth. Uh, Number two, the foot chase at John Doe's apartment. Uh, number three, the conversation in the police cruiser. And number four, the finale. What's in the box? All right. Uh, my favorite scene is the car ride. I fucking love it. Okay. Um, this is a tough one, but I, I'm personally going to go with the Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey chase scene. Nice. Okay. Uh, car ride. All right. Perfect. All right, closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Wes? Wes, lead us off here, buddy. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, Even though there was no Oscar nomination performances. Correct. Correct. Uh, But, you know, if Brad Pitt didn't have 12 Monkeys and Kevin Spacey didn't have Usual Suspects, I could totally see nominations coming for both of these two. Okay. Sam? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Freeman, Pitt, Spacey, all could be contenders. Uh, I'm going to agree with you guys, and I'm actually also going to throw in Paltrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am. Now, would you? I'm going to assume you guys would categorize them in this fashion. Morgan is lead. Pitt. Where do you got Pitt? Do you have him as lead as well, or is he supporting? He's he's co-lead, I think, right? Yeah. I think you could put him in either category, and I don't think it'd be category fraud. Obviously, Kevin Spacey. Uh, supporting. Uh, and Paltrow mm-hmm. for supporting as well. Yeah. Okay, so we have – let's put Pitt in lead. So the five nominees we have this year are Nicolas Cage for Leaving Las Vegas. Richard Who won. Richard Dreyfus for Mr. Holland's Opus, Anthony Hopkins for Nixon, Sean Penn for Dead Man Walking, and Massimo Troisi 
for El Postino. Of I haven't the, seen any of those. Any. Wow. You have not yeah, seen any of them? I haven't seen any either. <laughs> okay. So I've seen four of them. I haven't seen Il Postino. So of those five, I would have no problem dropping Anthony Hopkins and perhaps even Richard Dreyfus to put Pitt and Freeman in there. For Best Supporting Actor, you got Kevin Spacey for The Usual Suspects, James Cromwell for Babe, Ed Harris for Apollo 13, Pitt for 12 Monkeys, Tim Roth for Rob Roy. I could probably drop Tim Roth. I haven't seen Babe in since it came out, so I can't say that I'm willing to drop James Cromwell. I'm mm-hmm. not dropping Pitt in monkeys i'm definitely not dropping ed harris for apollo 13 and no way definitely not dropping spacey for suspects no way okay best supporting actress mira sorvino for media for Dady, joan allen for nixon kathleen quinlan for apollo 13 Mar- uh, mary woodingham for georgia and kate winslet for sense and sensibility i've only seen two and that's joan allen for nixon and kathleen quinlan for apollo 13 I would have no problem putting Gwyneth in here because I don't think Kathleen Quinlan's all that memorable in Apollo 13. <laughs> what other aspects of the film are award-worthy? Sam. Uh, so, sorry, you've you've said this already, but the one nomination I got was what? Sorry? E- editing, film editing. Okay. So, uh, screenplay feels like a really obvious one. I agree. Yep. The, the dialogue is fantastic, and it's one of the most fantastic endings of all time, as I've emphasized. Um, it's funny. Usually, I'm the guy, I feel like, who will go off about the score. I I didn't notice it this time around. I'll have to pay attention to it next time around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the score, I guess, could be a contender, but maybe you guys could expand on that a little bit more. Uh, cinematography seems like an obvious one. Um, the big one for me uh, feels like screenplay. It, it it really should have been nominated for screenplay. Did we say we did? Sorry, and just before, I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, Wes. As you were about to say something, we did say James Horner did this score, right? No, uh, how, was, Howard, uh, Howard Howard Shore. Shore. Okay, Howard Shore. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I was gonna, I I I was like, fuck, Horner got two nominations this year. Yeah. Uh, Wes, what do you got? Yeah, I think. Um you can obviously make a case for um, script and cinematography, but the biggest one for me is the score. Definitely. Um, It just stood out so much um, during this film and elevated it Um, just like little scenes uh, that didn't really, I don't want to say they didn't add much to the movie, but uh, other, in other words, I, they wouldn't have stuck stuck out to me nearly as much if the uh, the score wasn't bumping uh, as much as it was. Sam, do you have something to say? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm not adding to uh, what you were saying. I'm not contradicting or anything. I just mm-hmm. realized I'm scrolling through the different categories trying to come up with ideas. Makeup. Good Best call. makeup for for sloth for, and yeah. gluttony. Makeup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you guys, in my opinion. Uh, missed two big ones. I think they should have been nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. 
Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> if we're going with the, with yeah. the real ones, yeah. sure. It's one other aspects of the film are war worthy. I think this is one of the best films of the year, and I think David yeah. Fincher was honestly robbed of a best director nomination. And that's not even me being a homer pick for David Fincher. No, it's really not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, I, you're correct. I just usually the movies that we talk about are <laughs> already nominated for best picture, so I don't. <laughs> they're usually already nominated for both those, so I don't usually consider it. Uh, and I'm agree with everything. I think this should have been nominated for best screenplay. I think it should have been nominated for best cinematography. I think it should have been nominated for best sound. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I actually. I think it was because I was sitting really close to one of my rear speakers on my, uh, with my surround sound. So I was picking up a lot of the ambient noise. So I actually was really impressed with the sound effects editing in this movie, which is the only time I've ever noticed it. But there's a lot of when Somerset is sleeping, you're getting a lot of the ambient noise from outside that was playing through. It was really well done. So, uh, but best, I agree. I love the best makeup. I don't think I would go with art direction, but the f- best film editing is a hundred percent a nomination here. I can't wait to rewatch Apollo thirteen, which I think we're only a couple weeks away from, because that's what won best film editing. I, I- I'm excited to watch it because how it beat this is going to be beyond me. That's probably right after, uh, not next week, but the the following one. Hey, yeah, I think we're about two next weeks week. away. Yeah. yeah. Um, weak link of the film. Oh, jeez. I didn't even put any thought into this yet. <laughs> Honestly, put all the thought into it that you want, because I, I really don't know if we're going to find anything. Um, yeah. I know that I I may have sounded earlier like I was harping on the first act of this movie, like it was boring or lesser than or something. I, I really don't feel that way. I'm just I just think it's more conventional, not necessarily worse. It's just it's just more of a standard detective story for the first little bit. Um, so I really, I'm going to have to dig deep. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I have no, I, really don't I honestly have nothing. I think this movie is absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. Yeah. I, I, I have nothing. Okay. So, um, I, if I was to say anything, uh, maybe it would just be that, uh, the first act is maybe overshadowed uh, by such an explosive second half of the movie, but I wouldn't want to fault uh, a good first half of a movie just because of how amazing the second half is. So I don't think that's necessarily too fair. I I know what you're saying. I'm trying to look through um, some of the episodes that we've recorded, trying to remember which other ones we've done that we have not been able to come up with a weak link. I know Casablanca was one of them. Yep. Um, I don't think there's been another one where he just said there's there's no weak point. Maybe maybe Wind River actually. Possibly. I think Wind River. We also said there uh, we couldn't come up with a weak point because it's just really solid throughout. Um, but yeah, I think those are the only two, and Seven might be might be the the next one in that in that tradition. All right. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? surprisingly no when we think about how great this movie is everybody else kind of had something can i yeah can i give you i actually forgot to mention this and i'm sorry if i cut you off there wes um can i tell you what 
kind of run Morgan Freeman was on from 1989 to now to 1995. This is these are, these are the movies that he did in order. Driving Miss Daisy, Glory, Bonfire of the Vanities is the one miss. Then you have Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, The Power of One, and these are the four he does in a row. Unforgiven, Shawshank Redemption, Outbreak, Seven. That's Morgan Freeman's film run. Height of his powers. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I agree. I don't think this is anybody's career highlight, which is weird for a movie that is basically perfect. Yeah. Would you Would you say Fincher's was Social Network? Yes, I would. Yeah, Fincher's was what? Social Network. Uh, Kevin Spacey. His usual says. It's usual. It's usual suspects or American Beauty, or yeah. House of Cards, or House probably. of or House of Cards. Yeah, I, my instinct would have led me to American Beauty, but yeah, I think any of those answers is acceptable. Uh, Brad Pitt has had sort of an interesting career and a lot of big hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I pa- mean, of course, my, ho- my Homer bias will direct me towards Inglorious Bastards, but I know that's not the answer. No, the the answer is probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, wow. You, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree necessarily. It's just shocking to hear that sentence out loud and to not disagree with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's done so much and it feels like there should be something else in there. Yeah. But it might just be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's crazy. Yeah. Manny, uh, do you think you could make a case for Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow? No, her uh, career. Shakespeare in Love. No, Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. She won the Oscar. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. O- outside of that. From a, you could make the argument. I think maybe from a merit perspective, like I think it could be argued that her small performance in this is better, like on a scene for scene basis than Shakespeare in Love. I could definitely mm-hmm. see that argument. I would agree. Uh, but as far as like a career highlight, she's going to be remembered more for Shakespeare yeah. in Love for yeah. sure. Totally. MVP of the film. Uh this is. Uh, my answer, I think, might surprise you guys because I have a feeling I know what you guys are going to say. Uh, but for me personally, it's uh, the buildup and the characterization and the compare and contrast that's done throughout between Mills and Somerset and their so, characters. So I guess you could say, uh, just generally speaking, the uh, the screenplay, like the writing. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. The, just the writing of those two characters and how... You have one be the the hot-headed rookie, uh, yeah. more immature, and then you have the, obviously the one that uh, pays high attention to detail, takes his job very seriously, is more mature, and, and I think you find payoff with that in the end with the wrath sin, um, and yeah, personally that that's the the highlight. I think that's a, a fine answer, Sam. Your um, MVP. Usually, for movies like this where we struggle to really find one flaw the cop-out answer which is the answer i'm going to go with is the director it's gonna be david fincher i think david fincher uh does such a good job in pulling out performances from his actors for for constructing scenes for uh making the dialogue which is already great making it pop on screen uh just every every detail is paid such close attention to david fincher might have one of the finest eyes for detail in all of film i agree uh and it uh, really comes to fruition here so i think 
easy answer when everything is good is just the man who's in control of everything. Yeah, I'm with Fincher. Fincher's the MVP of the movie for me. Uh, what will be this film's legacy? Probably one of the greatest endings in film history. Yeah, one that was almost spoiled by movie executives. Yep. But, uh, luckily, <laughs> uh, cooler heads prevailed, and Brad Pitt got his way. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great answer, Wes. Yeah, one of the one of the finest endings ever crafted for a movie. Yeah, one of the greatest endings, and I think the other part of this film's legacy will be what, what Wes perfectly articulated. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very very elegant. Uh, can I add one more thing? Yeah. Um, it might. I, I just had a little note here uh, that says it's not the greatest villain, but it might be one of the greatest performances as a villain. Mm. Nice. I like that. I love it. Uh, would you gentlemen watch this movie again? 100%. Yes, yes. You bet. Yeah. You bet I would. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Indidioso. Wes, what are your final thoughts on the movie Seven? Oh, uh, you know, David Fincher is just one of those filmmakers that I feel like if you're a fan of movies, um, if you like this art form, then you're going to love uh, the projects that he has to offer. Um, I think that each movie, uh, he has something to different different to show you, uh, and each one is thought-provoking, and each one brings out amazing performances. Um, and that being said, uh, this is still in uh, the top of his filmography. Um, and saying that says a lot uh, about a film like that. So, yeah, I'm, I, I was thoroughly pleased with this rewatch through. Nice. Samuel? David Fincher is somebody who uh, his filmography prior to about five years ago was not too into. I I think I'd seen The Social Network once and kind of forgot how good it was. Uh, I don't genuinely know how many other Fincher movies I'd seen besides that. Maybe Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I think. Uh, and then I met Manny Manuel <laughs> and uh, he got me going on the Fincher train and this was the first step that I took all those uh, all those years ago. And I'm happy that I did because this is the kind of movie that inspires aspiring filmmakers. It inspires uh, aspiring film nerds. It's uh, a movie that's very dark and upsetting and can be difficult to watch at times because of how uh, how gruesome it is. And it can, it can be a little bit of a tough watch uh, in that regard. But the movie's better for it. Uh, the fact that the movie studio wanted the, the Hollywood ending where they get the bad guy or whatever it was they wanted uh, just goes to show how much the people at the time this movie was created really didn't get it. The 65 Metascore also goes to prove how much people at the time didn't get it. It's one that's really had to take time to age like a fine wine to fully be appreciated and i hope that it is becoming fully appreciated because this really is just a spectacular work of art from front to back fantastic performances fantastic cinematography score editing screenplay you name it it's all there 
it's a it's a masterpiece top to bottom. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. This movie is a just a fucking pleasure to watch despite its incredibly dark story and incredibly dark themes that it explores. This is a movie I can put on at pretty much almost any time and will be thoroughly overjoyed to watch this movie again. I think this movie is obviously at the time criminally underappreciated. This is one of my favorite movies to introduce to people. I love this movie so much that I almost don't want to recommend it for people to watch if they haven't seen it because I want to be there with them when they watch it. This is the kind of movie that I implore people to watch and not Google a thing about it. It's the kind of movie where if you go in blind, you will be infinitely rewarded. And I think every aspect of this film is an absolute perfection personified. It's, it's, oh God, it's just such a great film that is, that rewards you for sticking with it. And I love it so much. I can't keep cough talking. Okay. I love this movie. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Let's give this movie some ratings. Sam, what do you got for me? Big ol' five. Five oh. Pretty, pretty easy for me. Samuel? Oh, sorry. I mean, Wesley. <laughs> it's uh, late. It is late. <laughs> Fives all around the room. 100%. So, we don't know Manny's rating yet. We, we, we don't know what he's giving. I'm all around my room. Sorry. <laughs> yeah this movie's a Any, five take us out of our suspense what are you giving them yeah this movie's a five an easy <gasps> five i'm shocked i was gonna say it might be the easiest five i've given all year but i've already given out four fives this year <laughs> yeah well we talked about both godfathers this year yeah oh wow okay uh well let's get well We'd like to definitely, before we head out here, thank you, Wes, for joining us yet again. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, Second appearance. Yeah. No no sophomore slump here. <laughs> nope, Not- no, no sophomore slump. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, Listen. no, it, it's it's been a pleasure. Um, and I honestly, I just want to thank you guys uh, for um, – giving me something to to listen to every day to uh get the time going by uh during my job i i, I couldn't thank you guys uh more like you guys you guys are uh becoming a big big part of my day uh, and you guys help me out, out a lot so i just wanted to say thank you for that oh that's that's fantastic and uh by by what you said of uh i can't thank you anymore uh you can thank us by continuing to come on and bless us with your excellent presence because it's uh been a fun time manny by the way what are we at for runtime right now oh we've actually set the record for the longest episode ever Uh, (laughs) i I wanted to pull that out because it i i mean this i mean i'm going to say this and i think the listener will scoff at me it genuinely has not felt like it it It, is not really it really has not felt like it it is the time has flown by and i think it's because we got uh we got we're i'm in the presence of two uh 
brilliant uh brilliant film minds here and i'm uh, thank it, you it has been a, a very fun time yes it thank is you so much we we are at three hours and 50 minutes of runtime for this podcast and i'll be honest it has not felt like four hours it, mm -mm. this is breezed mm -mm. by and it's been a fucking joy so yeah once again thank you Wes, for joining us it was so awesome having you on i can't wait for you to join us again for, you know and, and thank you again don't hesitate to reach out like <clears> you <throat> did if if you see something on the docket that interests you we're more than happy to have you on as a guest for sure yes. yeah we'll have to plan it again sometime soon Wicked. thank you guys uh before we get going i guess i should do social media because i didn't at the top you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. It allows more people to find us if you are willing to sit through four hours of three guys talking about seven. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. If anybody sat through this in one listen, I tip my cap to you and would love to hear from you. If any of you, if anybody out there that's listening uh, wants to let us know their thoughts on the podcast or any film, please reach out to us. I'd love to hear from you. Sam, looks like you have something you want to say. Nope. I, uh, I am just draining. Uh, my, my energy is completely gone. I don't usually see you too tired by the end of a podcast and i can see you are fatigued my I, friend i am i don't I'm, think i've ever seen you get fatigued it's pretty podcast. it's pretty rare it's pretty rare <laughs> uh so sam what's going on next week uh next week oh my god i do not have it written down but we are talking about another kevin spacey movie if i recall correctly yes. we're going to be getting into episode 146 the usual suspects awesome. this is one i've been very excited about for a long time Man, we get to talk about Seven and The Usual Suspects back-to-back -back weeks? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love us. I love our hobby. All right. So for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!